Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 43 of the Big Show, some Enforcer Base Podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How are you guys all doing? Another Sunday. So, of course, around here, that means another Vault episode. And uh, today's Vault episode will be my interview with Frank Kovacs. Um, had a lot of fun talking to Frank. He... Uh, Played five years in the Western Hockey League with the Regina Pats. He was uh, Regina born and raised, so uh, he got to play with the hometown team. Um, you know, in five years and put up big number fifty goals. Yeah, Frank was a solid player, uh, physical. Uh, you know, would uh, would drop the gloves when need be, and uh, you know, like as a power forward. And uh, you know, he played in the late eighties, early nineties. So uh, you know, real in a real tough era in the Western Hockey League. So. It was a lot of fun uh, talking to talking to Frank, and uh, then he went on and um, played uh, a couple. He played a year in Moncton, a couple years in the American League, a couple years in the East Coast, uh, and then he actually went over to the UK, played for the uh, Sheffield Steelers for a couple seasons, and um, yeah, no, it was. Uh, um, and then he re- retired and got on with life, and is now a police officer in the city of Regina. So, uh, no, Frank is, uh, was a great guest, and. Um, yeah, I think uh, it was kind of one of my very last episodes before my before my website crashed. So um, I'm I'm really happy. Like I always say with all my vault episodes, I'm really happy to get it uh, get it back up on the air um, or back up on the internet. But um, yeah, sorry guys, I'm just kind of struggling here. I, my throat's killing me. So yeah, I've been kind of gargling with the salt water and everything. Hopefully kick this here on the weekend but uh yeah <clears throat> so pardon me. But uh, like I said, this is uh, so I won't, I won't go long here, but. Uh, um, what have I said that before? But uh, um, the um, of course, this being episode forty three, obviously forty two other episodes. Um, I, uh, I encourage anybody to go back and uh, um, check out the back catalog. Um, like I said, talked to a lot of great guys, had a lot of fun conversations. Um, is it John Morasti, Steve McIntyre, Roman Volpat, Clark Wilm, Jeff Rogers, um, you know, uh, Jer- Jeremy Cornish, on and on. Um, and um you know and i and i uh i'm very i'm proud of all the interviews and i and i think uh i think uh you know if you guys are into the old time like i said if you're into old time hockey and uh uh this is the this is the right place for you but um also like i said a, a proud member of the of the hockey podcast network um all the nhl teams on the are represented on the network they each have their own podcast so um whatever team you're a fan of uh hit the network they got the show for you. Um, Terry Ryan's also a member of the network and um, uh, a couple of analytics shows. And uh, yeah, so they I mean they pretty well got all the bases covered um, in terms of uh, whatever a, a hockey fan happens to be looking for. Um, outside the network, of course, Alec over at the Five for Fighting. Um, he, uh, 
We just recorded an episode, and uh, it's going to be his last one. And then I believe he's taking November off because they're moving. And he's got a lot of stuff going on in his, you know, personal life. You know, getting busy. So, uh, you know, little little vic- uh, little uh, vacation time being used. But uh, you know, he'll be back. Uh, you know, I'm sure in December and in the new year. And of course, uh, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles. Um, you know, with the Islander uh, podcast. Um, you know, he's just put out. Uh, 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 he was on a little bit of break. But now he came back and. Uh, we put out the top right winger episode and um yeah so uh you know the, those are the guy the uh and then of course the uh the, the slew foot hockey shows back i know i've i've seen so i've been retweeting some of their stuff so good to see those guys back and i get the gate uh i don't know what's going on there uh, hopefully they, those guys will make it back but uh you know and then of course dan paul and kelly over at the uh, obey the puck show um they're up on dan's twitch channel and uh yeah, so those are, are all the shows you got to plug here. I don't have to plug, but I want to plug. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, I know uh, I just saw that the uh, the bolts and the stars there are in overtime, and uh, yeah, yawning. That's about as exciting as I am excited as I am about it. But uh, yeah, Tampa's up three games to one, so we'll see if they can clinch tonight. But. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird, right, with the empty state. You know, it's just uh, it's kind of weird watching sports with no crowds. Um, yeah, it's just odd. But, um, you know, I was watching some college football the, uh, this afternoon, and although there was some fans there, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's just kind of weird. But, um, yeah, I'm going to, uh, like I said, I won't go too long. I still, I still got to put my NFL picks in for our office pool. I don't know why I'm bothering. I, I think I should may as well just throw a, a dart at the wall because... I think there's 37 people in our office pool, and I'm I'm a solid 30th. It's like Jesus. It doesn't matter. Like no matter how much you read and everything else, and it's just like, who knows? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's one of those you know favorite 15 points on 14, 13, that kind of thing. But, ish, brutal. Yeah. I already lost Thursday's game. You know, I, I think the Jags for five, and it's just like, come on. You know, just can't can't win. Couldn't pick the winner of a one-horse race right now. You know, I, normally I'm always sort of middle of the pack, you know, you know, top 15. But, yeah, no, it's a slow, slow start. We'll see. Hopefully just win a week so you can get your money back, right? But, uh, anyway, enough of my gambling woes. Every gambler's got the tails, the, the bad beats, right? So... Um, but I won my sports select last week, so that wasn't too bad. Not that it was a big amount, but at least got my money back. So, anyway, enough of that. But um, other than that, um, I know I actually I got some few comments in my last episode on Wednesday. Um, that was did I say that already? Yeah, Wednesday. Every Wednesday is new content, and then of course every Sunday is the vault episodes. But on Wednesday, I put out an episode. Um, it was a top five who I uh, talked about the Tampa Bay and Dallas, their toughest top five toughest enforcers of all time for each team. And then I also brought up the um, I talked about John Scott a little bit, and it was funny actually. I got two funny i got two ex-players i'm not gonna say i'm gonna say any names but uh i talked to them privately and they were in complete agreement with me about the john scott thing and i always said it's um you know you throw out uh your opinion or you know you you throw out your opinions and you know and i mean it wasn't like oh it's hot takes or whatever i mean that's how i really felt and i didn't i you know i didn't uh, i'm not doing it to uh 
like I said, for shock value or anything. Well, it's not like I said anything that shocking, but I just throw out my opinion. But I always say when when you get the players agreeing with you, I always know I'm on the right track. Then, you know. But uh, but that's how. Um, yeah. So I encourage you to go back and check it out. You understand what I'm talking about. But uh, and then. Um, yeah, I also talked about the the government battle there in Quebec with the Junior League, and and really how the politician there um, is a. I always don't know her last Chartier or Chartan or something Isabel something. Anyway, she's the minister of education for like women's studies or something. But the Quebec Major Junior League is asking for twenty million dollars subsidy because of the COVID thing, and uh, basically the government said, well, we'll give it to you, but you got to get rid of fighting. More, not get rid of it completely, but it's like lower the limit from 10 down to 5 and make it a 15-minute major instead of a 5-minute major, and there was a bunch of stuff. Anyway, the, all the, the GMs of the league had a vote and the, it got shut down. Like, the, the rule change got shut down. Apparently, the commissioner of the Quebec League and the and the and this, uh, this female prime minister, or not prime minister, pardon me, the education minister were... Um, were just pissed, right? But then it came out. Well, did these GMs know that if they did, they voted no, they wouldn't get the twenty million. That was that's been debated. So they're going to reconvene and blah blah blah. So it's like, well, isn't that extortion? Like we're going to hold this over you unless you do, you know? Like and it's taxpayer money, and it's like okay, like talk about pushing an agenda, like really. And it's like if you go and look, and it's like I, I think there was like four players that had over five fights anyway last year. So it's like, who gives a shit? And I'm just with everything in the world that's going on, this is what your concern is? Like, I don't know. It just seems so... Well, and of course, George LaRock's got to get in there, and Patrick Waugh. Waugh surprised me a little bit, because he's such a goon coach. But when he's like, oh, I think the general public's just tired of fighting. You know, okay, Patrick, like, what world are you living in? Yeah, and of course, George, I mean, you know, stick a microphone in his face, and George will give you a different answer every day, depending on which way the wind's blowing. You know, George, I've stuck up for you a lot of times, but you, you're pissing me off. Like, you just, you know, I just... You're so wishy-washy and eh, whatever. I don't know. I've I've went back way back in the day through email. George and I, he thanked me for you know he helped whatever. He was nice to me. He got me some stuff, autograph stuff for me. Um, I helped him out with some fight stuff, and he was he was cool, you know. So you know, but since then I've heard a few stories. Um, I'm not going to air dirty laundry, whatever. But it's kind of I don't know. You know, get a little shady, and then it's just like I don't know. And you see this all this bullshit that's come out since he's retired, and then he likes fighting, then he doesn't. Then it's like, well, I don't know. And then they shouldn't be doing it, and it's just like, come on, man, just like have an opinion and stick to it. Like, it's like whoever he's talking, who's ever in front of him, is, de- it dep- is what his answer is going to, de- or his answer is going to depend on whoever's in front of him. Jesus, spit it out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that's all. Uh, that's all the fun that you can go back to and, and listen on episode forty-two. Um, yeah, my my rantings. But uh, anyway, um, speaking of rantings, do you guys like jerseys? There's my segue. That was a terrible segue. But here's my ad suggestion. Don't fast forward. Hold on. I know you guys like jerseys. Everybody likes jerseys. Hockey jerseys. I think out of all the jerseys, like with football and baseball, and everything, hockey's definitely the coolest. 
but um yeah i got a good deal for you um the through the the hockey podcast network one of our sponsors is uh coolhockey.com um yeah and they've been around since 1999 they're nhlpa endorsed folks i love i've looked into them i've talked to jersey people that have bought from these guys they said they're solid everything was checked out it was all good so that's why you know that's why i'm promoting them i'm not gonna promote just whoever um because i don't want to rip anybody off or be associated with anything like that but uh no reputation's good and uh yeah so like i said no like the the real diehards that buy the jerseys they don't want to buy the knockoff stuff they want to buy the real thing that the guys wear and like i say every time i do this ad read and it's true when i was at the mall down at jersey city as well as at lids the other day and at olympian sports here in town authentic jerseys were like 300 and some bucks with the you know and and it's whoever they have it's like mcdavid or crosby or Carey price or austin matthews or whoever you're at the mercy of whoever they have in the store uh, well with cool hockey yeah you can get those guys but you can also get custom guys you can put whatever name you want you want to get a blackhawks jersey with double zero griswold on it go ahead i mean uh joe the guy uh from the uh, the Islanders podcast, diehard. He's always buying Islanders jerseys. I mean, he was just telling me, and he's going to get the hand knitted stuff number number twenty eight. Um, you know, hand knitted just like they wore in the thing, and it's going to be an Alexander Cmac jersey. He's really excited about it, actually, and uh, you know, might even use it for a Christmas gift. So hopefully, Mrs. Lazito isn't listening. But uh, you know, Joe might keep it for himself. But he's like constantly rotating the Islanders jerseys he's picked up. So you know. If it's good enough for Joe, it's good enough for you. How's that for an ad read? That's pretty good, eh? No, but seriously, no coolhockey.com. And like I said, um, at checkout, if you use the promo code THPN at the Hockey Podcast Network, you get 30% off and free shipping. They're out of Toronto. And like I said, uh, I got a third, Flames third jersey, number 16, hand sewn with the fight straps and everything. McGratton on the back, just like Brian wore when he played there. Uh, 185.99 free shipping. That's Canadian. They're, that's like half the price of what it is here. So, um, yeah. What more can one man do for you? Like I said, check out THPN at checkout. 30% off, free shipping. There you go, coolhockey.com. And uh, like I said, the guys at the network get a bit of a kickback. You know, you should tell them and the boys. I mean, they're doing this on their dime and their time, and they put a lot of effort into this. And, uh, you know, uh, so any any little bit that I can do to help those guys out, I will certainly do that because they've... Uh, Promote, they promote my show and babysit the rest of us. So, uh, yeah, don't please ignore my wife sneezing in the back. But uh, other than that, uh, my throat's killing me. So I'm going to go gargle with some salt water. But uh, thank you guys very much for for tuning in on this Sunday. I hope everybody has a, a great work week coming up and uh, stay safe. And uh, here is my interview with Frank. Oh, before I go. Uh, fourth line voice on twitter also fourth line voice on youtube check out my youtube page if you haven't already over uh, 2200 fights and a few frank kovac fights um everything's sorted by league or name just go to a little uh, spyglass there and type in whatever any name you're looking for any league you're looking for everything's sorted they'll come up like i said i'm junior to pro everything's on there got all the leagues represented so uh definitely check that out like i said got some cool uh frank some of frank's tilts from uh his pats days that we actually talk about on in the interview so check that out but uh other than that let's get rolling all right here's my talk with frank kovacs thanks guys all right here on the fourth line voice i am honored to have fellow saskatchewan boy 
Hall, Hall of Famer and uh, all-time Regina Pats games played leader on the line, Frank Kovacs. Frank, how you doing tonight? Great. Thank you, Darren. Great to be here. Excellent. Well, thanks, man. Like I said, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, you know, uh, growing up with the, you know, always going to the Blades games. I saw I saw you play many times at Sass Place, battling the uh, battling the Blades, and uh, we'll, uh, we're going to get into all that because uh, I, I got a few characters I want to ask you about. But uh, okay, but uh, before we get uh, before we get into that, um, the Battle of Saskatchewan, we will uh, we'll talk. Uh, so you were uh, born and raised and played your minor hockey in Regina, correct? That's correct. Yes, it. And, uh, yeah, grew up in Regina. It's interesting. I started playing hockey. I've kind of a neat story. Um, my mom took my brother, my sister, myself skating when I was four. They were five and six to the Al Ritchie hockey rink. And I'm not sure why she did, but she thought we should just go try skating over the Christmas break. And then we all had some, uh, handmade out skates. And for whatever reason, I took off and I liked it. I just loved skating. And as I got older, I went to the rink by myself, obviously, and, Spent a lot of time at the outdoor rink after school on the weekends just playing. And then I got uh, a hockey stick for Christmas one time for my dad. He didn't even know what hand I shot. Neither did I. And he got me a Howie Meeker hockey stick. My brother and myself, we got them right-handed, but we were left-handed. So it didn't matter. We used those sticks, and we just enjoyed having a stick in our hand. And then uh, when I was eight years old, my buddy at school played on the hockey team. And I said, hey, Shane, I said, how do I join the team? Because my mom and dad are from Europe, and they just had no clue about how to join sports and stuff, and neither did I. But I went to play hockey, and I, I asked him, how do you do this? He goes, well, we, we're practicing at the Archie at the indoor rink at 7 o'clock p.m. tonight. It's a trial, and why don't you come by? So I said, okay. So I went home, and I had supper, and I kind of said to my mom and dad, I'm sneaking out to the rink, and away I went. I had my, st- uh, my old stick, my Howard Meeker stick, wrong hand, my winter mitts, these old tube skates. No equipment. I went to the Archie rink. That was my first time ever in the rink. And I went in the stands and I was by myself. I sat there. And I said, oh, I was going to second guess myself. I said, no, I shouldn't do this. But then I saw my buddy and all his teammates and all their equipment come up from the dressing room onto the ice. And I saw him. I said, Shane, I said, I'm not going to do this. He said, oh, just talk to the coach. You never know. So I did. I had enough guts and I talked to the coach and Thankfully, he's a really nice man, and I had no idea what kind of league this was, but it was a community hockey league. And he said, well, I should let you do this, but you can come on the ice and have a skate with us, and we'll see how it goes. So I went on the ice with the team and just skated around and shot the puck and did the drills with him in my uh, in my clothes. And uh, after practice, as well, if you want to play on my team, you can play on my team, no problem. So I ran home, and I told my mom and dad, live about two blocks in the rink. And they couldn't believe what I did, but for whatever reason, they came back with me and talked to the coach. And he said, yeah, you know, here's what it costs, and here's the equipment you have to buy. And he kind of explained what the league was all about. And they said, do you want to do this? I said, yes, I do. And, you know, times were tight. There wasn't much money. We had, uh, there's three three kids in the family at that time. And uh, my mom and dad said, okay, you can do it. And from there, next day with the game tire, bought the equipment. And uh, had no clue how to put it on. And that's how I started my hockey career. And uh, that's what from there I went to uh, play city hockey. I kind of lucked into that. I played city hockey. Went to the hockey rink the next year in the fall 
So I wanted to join hockey again, and I had no idea how to do it. And I saw this poster on the, on the wall. It said, you know, City Hockey, so I called the number. And then I joined City Hockey, and then from there I kind of understood how hockey kind of worked with the city ranks and the community leagues. And then I made the Tom Thumb team, and then away he went. The rest is history. Um, yeah. Well, that's good. Well, and then and then to uh, well, and the, so obviously you played. Do you play AAA midget in Regina as well? No, I actually missed midget. Um, so what happened there was uh, in Bantam hockey, we had a really good team. Um, just a really good bunch of guys that played with the we uh, very talented. We won the state championships three in a, three years in a row. And then the Pats, I was with Seattle Thunderbirds. I was on the list. And then the Pats, Doug Sauter, made that 10-player trade uh, with Craig Andine and Ray Savard. And I forget the rest of the players, but there's 10 of us. So I was with Seattle. Five of us came from Seattle. And five went to uh, Regina. And then I came here, and then I went to training camp at 16 years old. And then I made the, tra- I made the Pats at 16. So that was pretty interesting, too. Well, and how, like, uh, how... Uh... Like, did you go to Seattle camp as a 15-year-old? I did, yeah. I went out there and had a great camp, and there's guys like Glenn Goodall there, and yep. good for the rest of the guys, but it was a really good camp and great players. What a great organization. They were so so professional. I was kind of looking forward to playing for them. But, of course, being for Regina, the Regina Pats for it was my team. Um, growing up as a kid, geez, like, you just worship these guys. Like, you idolize them. Yep. I remember playing street hockey in school, in the schoolyard on the street back alleys, and you pretend you're Dale Durkett, you pretend you're Sue Grimson, or, you know, Brian Varga. Here's a story, too. Brian Varga, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, he lived in the same areas as we did. And uh, one, he was our paperboy, actually, which was kind of neat. I didn't know that, but he was our paperboy. Then one Christmas, we were there, up there skate Delta Rank, and he was off, obviously, on Christmas break. Yep. He was kind of shooting the puck around by himself, and he ended up playing with my brother, myself, my sister, just kind of playing hockey. So he's a real nice guy, and I got to meet him later on in life, too, and just a really nice nice guy, a nice family. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, and, like, for people listening, um, you know, uh, that aren't around it, I mean, would, you know, and I was the same, the same thing growing up in Saskatoon. I mean, when you don't have an NHL team or uh, any other pro teams, I mean, the junior, when you're a little kid, the junior team, really, that's kind of like your NHL guys, right? Like, I remember growing up and you watch, you know, Wendell Clark and these guys, and it was like, they were gods, man, when we were growing up, right? Because that was kind of yes. like, that was our big deal was the junior team at the time, you know? And, uh, yeah, so I can, yeah, I completely get what you're saying with the growing up, you know, idolizing the Pats and that type of thing. So, well, so, so you get traded to uh, Regina. So here we are, hometown boy. You roll into Pats camp. And uh, did did well, then first of all, let's before we get into any of that, <laughs> talk about Doug Sauter. Like that guy's a character right there. <laughs> Doug Sauter was uh, the old school coach. He yep. was uh, he had the big big walrus mustache, and he was uh, a very intimidating guy. Um, looking back now, I'm not sure if he was the most knowledgeable hockey coach, but he ran the team great. Um, we had Dennis Sovchuk as the assistant coach, and we had Billy Hickey as our our, uh, our GM. And, you know, he just, Doug Sauter didn't treat anyone differently. That's what I told him. Like, it doesn't matter if you were a 50-goal scorer or a, a 4 liner. We all got treated the same, and I had to respect him for that. But he would, if you weren't playing well, 
know, seven guy would come in the room and he'd be throwing sticks, he'd be throwing pucks, he'd be throwing shopping carts around, and he'd be missing your head by an inch, and he didn't care. And also, if he said you were traded one day, next day you were gone. That's just the way he ran his business. He was a very intimidating guy. But I guess he had a very successful career, so it worked for him. Yep. Well, when you so you step on the ice in, in Regina camp, what did uh, did they sort of give you any indication that uh, that you were going to make the team? Like, were you surprised when you made it? Or uh, yeah, I'm kidding. I mean, at 16, that was a, that was a hell of a jump. Um, like, how did how did camp how did camp go? For? Well, obviously, you had a good camp. You made the team, but yeah, well, it, it was weird because uh, that summer, uh, myself, Mike Selinger, Jimmy Hewitt, and Terry Halter, we. Uh, we went to this Team Western camp. Back then, it was called the Quebec Esso Cup. And it was all the under-17-year-old junior hockey players that played for um, Team Western. For, so I was in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, then BC, Alberta, and then so on and so on. It was over Christmas break. We played in Quebec for this Quebec Esso Cup. We played against the Soviets, the Finns, and the Swedes. And uh, Bernie Lynch from the Humboldt Broncos was part of the coaching staff in uh, that camp in Winnipeg. And he was really, really recruiting me hard to go to Humboldt and then push the university scholarship thing on me. And I'll be honest, that really made me think, like, what do I do? Yep. Because I wasn't sure. I wasn't guaranteed any job with the Pats. I wasn't guaranteed nothing with anyone. I just wanted to play hockey. And I thought at that age, I'm thinking, what's the smartest thing for me to do? The most guaranteed thing. And of course, I was thinking education because if I go to school, you can't take that away from a guy. But if you go to the Pats or the Western League, yeah, you might make it, but then, then what? You have no school after. So I was actually contemplating to go to Humboldt the very couple days before Pats came training camp started. And Doug started calling me into his office. I went and talked to him with my, my mom and dad, and we talked about what the Pats offer for school and, and what they would offer me and this and that. And they gave me a standard contract of you know $2,500 a year for every year you play in the Western League. You could use that for your education after you've done your career if you don't sign a pro contract. Of course, my heart was, let's play for the past. That was my dream my whole life as a kid. So I talked to him. I said, well, I'm going to give the past a shot. And then from there, I just went to training camp and just did my stuff. There's no guarantees. There's no, like, you're doing great, Frank. You're awesome. Like, there's nothing of that. Just every day you went to practice, did your thing. Got off, went home, went to school. Next day, same thing. And uh, every day, you go to, after your trial, you go to the coach's door, there's a list on the, on the door who made it, got cut. And I just kept making it. And uh, to be honest, the whole year long until after the trade deadline, you never really felt secure if you're on the team or not. It was just a weird feeling. But uh, Doug Sutter, as a, we look back, what an amazing move for him to do that, to keep three 16-year-olds on his team when you're trying to be a winning team. Like, he had a lot of faith in us, obviously, so I'm very thankful he did that for us. Yeah, and of course, as, as you say, the three 16-year-olds was yourself, uh, and of course then guys that went, you know, NHL, lengthy NHL careers with Jamie Heward and Mike Sillinger. I mean, the three 16-year-olds and famously dubbed the Pup Line, and, uh, and yeah, well, I remember you guys. Yeah, you guys were great, and it was, uh, um, how... Um, that had to be like make things really comfortable actually to have kind of those two guys with you as well. So you're 16, you're all three, you're kind of going through it together. 
Absolutely. And uh, it's weird how that worked out, too, because Jamie was uh, Spokane, the Spokane Chiefs property. And uh, I remember like, about a month into the season, um, the past made a trade for him to come to Regina. So that's how Jamie came to Regina with uh, the trade through Spokane. So then from there on, of course, I've played Jamie my whole whole life growing up in the minor system in Regina. And we played against Mike our whole life. So, yeah, of course, it's, it's so comfortable playing with you guys you know about. And uh, two great guys, obviously, and we kind of had a good chemistry there. Yeah, well, and then I, just to kind of a couple other names um, to throw at that that were there when you were there, veterans were, um, and in terms of, well, in terms of toughness, I mean, uh, I mean, I'll run through the the rosters here of these teams so people out there will understand what uh, what sixteen year old Frank was rolling into these rinks to face. <laughs> but uh, a couple guys on your team were uh, that people will know were like Mark Jansons and uh, you know yep. Brad Miller, Mike Dick, Scott Daniels, Milan Dragasevic. Like, uh, uh, how was it like playing with those guys? Mark Jansen was uh, honestly the most amazing captain I've ever had. He was a very, like, looking back as an older guy, obviously, but he was a very mature player um, for his age. And um, just a good captain, um, quiet guy. When he spoke, everyone respected him. He treated everyone really good. You know, back then there was the rookie and stuff, the rookie initiation and stuff, but Mark Mark really took uh, myself and him his wing. Um, I was his solo partner. I was sat beside him in the dressing room. And he was always positive with me and, and just kind of helped me all through through my first year in junior hockey, which can be tough because oh, yeah. it's weird because you want to play so much, but yet that's the first time in your life where you really don't get a chance to play and you're kind of sitting there going, Jesus, it can be very frustrating. But Mark was a guy who just kind of said, listen, this way it's going to be and stick it out and it'll be fine and blah, blah, blah. But back in those days, geez, a lot of those guys like Mark Jansons and Jim Matheson um, Craig Endine, those guys are getting called up to the NHL for some games to play at times back in those days. And that doesn't happen anymore, which is weird, but that's how good they were. Yep. They can get up from junior hockey and play in the NHL and, and do pretty good up there as well. So so those guys are pretty amazing guys to be a part around, to be around. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, I mean, you know, I mean, for a 16-year-old going into it, I mean, yet, you know, solid season. I mean, you know, 10 goals and, you know, a couple, I think I looked up, it was, uh, you had a couple, five tilts. Um, to go to the, the, the fighting aspect of it, um, did you kind of do anything to get ready? Did you ever take any boxing or anything? Or was it just like, all right, here we go and wing it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was back then. There was, there was no fighting growing up in, in minor hockey because you weren't in hell with stuff and, I remember Bantam Hockey, my first year, and I was grade nine. I, the, the football coach wanted me to play football, so I played football in grade nine, my first year ever of football. And I really felt that helped my, my body check in hockey and Bantam my third year. Like, I was just crushing guys. I was just my size, and <laughs> yes, just, you were. I guess with the, you know, with the football mentality, just, I just ran guys over. So it was tough that way. But fighting, I never fought ever. Just, just didn't do that. So when you go to training camp in the Pats, and, and then you, you uh, see some of these older guys fighting training camp. It was pretty overwhelming, to be honest, because these guys are, you know, dropping the mitts, taking the helmets off, and they're going toe to toe. It seems back in those days, the fights were like they were toe to toe, like yep. stand back and, and just bang, 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 and every every fist was connected to the face somewhere. And nobody went down until sometimes they never went down. They just kept throwing until they just kind of gave up. 
so when I first saw that stuff, I was like, holy geez, that's, that's pretty tough. But there's that burning desire, that passion that I can't explain to you that every hockey player has. You just want to play so bad in the NHL is your, your next goal and you'll do whatever it takes to, to get there. And, uh, yeah, there's no boxing lessons. There's no nothing. Just, just wing it, go for it. And I can't, I, I honestly, the fighting was a part of the game, but, I, I like to play hockey more than fight. Obviously, I think a lot of players would say that. Oh yeah. But um, but Doug Sauter, he never put any pressure on me to be a fighter. He wanted me to be a checker. That that was our job as our six year olds. We were a checking line, and just mixed up every once in a while. Yeah, well, and like you said, that's the thing, right? And especially you know at the league at that time. Like I said, I'm going to go through the rosters here for people to understand who you're playing against. I mean, if you're a physical guy hitting, I mean. These dudes aren't going to take that, right? So it's uh, at that some yeah. point you're going to have to, uh, it, yeah. If you're going to, you, you know, run around, it's uh, yeah. You didn't have much choice back then, that's for sure. Well, exactly. Uh, it. And the good and back then, it's it's kind of cool because your teammates rallied around you quite a bit. If you ever got into a fight, the whole thing was if you just showed up, they were happy with that. That was a big thing. Because yeah, I think a lot of players realized they they said, "Hey, man, you showed up." It didn't matter if you lost or won. You showed up, and they had respect for you. Yep. So that was a good way of our team, you know, bonding and stuff. Because, as you know, sometimes you play the team, and if you don't win a couple of fights, you're gone. But our team back then, they just—they were all proud if you just showed up and dropped the gloves. No, absolutely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you here. What uh, do you remember? Who your first fight in the Western Hockey League was against? <laughs> to be honest, no. <laughs> I can tell you, it was September 25th, you played Brandon, and you fought Dale Marquette. Dale Marquette, yeah, I remember that name. I remember that uh, I remember that team very well because they had, they had a very tough team. They yes, had they um, Jeff Rogers. Yep. They had uh, Brown. Yep. What was his name, first name? Cam Brown. Cam Brown. Cam Brown, tough as nails. They had Kevin Chevalier off. Yep. And they had, uh, Marquette was pretty tough, too. Yep. But yeah, that was a we all every team every team back then had at least three or four or five guys that could go easily, and uh, Brandon was one of those teams, obviously. But yeah, that was a I forget how that fight started, but yeah, it was my first fight, obviously. Yeah, well, like I said, we're going to go through these rosters, and I'm going to get your uh, your feeling on a few of these cats. So people listening, you'll you're going to hear these names. Well, like you said, with Brandon, you had Audrey Shovel. Uh, another guy on that team was uh, Barry Drager. There was another yeah, guy, yeah, uh, legendary yeah. minor league enforcer, Jason Taylor. Shout out to Jason Taylor. I know he follows the account. He'll be listening. Um, he was there. Um, well, of course, I got to start. Well, on the team at that time in '87, '88, in your rookie year, who finished in first place in your in the East Division with the Saskatoon Blades. Well, I'll throw these characters at you, and everybody will know these names. <laughs> you got Kevin Kaminsky, Kerry Clark, Kelly Chase. Tony Twist. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know you know. (laughs) Every time, well, again, like I said, almost every team had those kind of guys. Yeah. Those were tough guys. And PA, you know, Prince Alvarez, too, they had some amazing tough guys, too. But Saskatoon, they had the old arena when I first played in the league. Yep. And I'll tell you, that rink was something else. You you rolled into there. The dress was tiny. Yep. He walked out, and basically the fans were right on top of you the whole game. And then you had to go and play against those kind of goons. So those those games were tough. And I remember I have so much respect because guys like Mark Jansons and and Jim Matheson, those guys, 
they're the ones that have to take care of those guys. Yep. And there's some big kills for those guys. There's some tough, tough fights. Yeah. How how annoying was Kaminsky back then? Oh, you know he did his job to a T. Yep. I think everyone hated his guts, but he he just antagonized everyone all over the ice. It didn't matter who you were, and he had that look on his face. He wanted to wipe it off his face, but he did a great job. He was he was really good at what he did, and uh, also he could fight and score, and he kind of did it all really. Yeah, well, really that's, tough guy. Yeah, like anybody listening, I mean, Kevin Kaminsky that year in fifty five games had a hundred points. He had thirty eight goals. Wow. And the 247 minutes of penalties. So, um, yeah, I remember, uh, like I said, growing up in Saskatoon, obviously I watched all these games. And, uh, yeah, Kaminsky, he was, uh, he was the man back then. But, yeah, you know, I could just, oh, I just, every shift, just in it with someone all the time doing something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, well, again, that's me talking now, but I watch hockey now and, a little bit, and uh, it seems it's a faster game, obviously. The players are much faster. It doesn't seem as much rough stuff as back in those days, like you're talking about. No. Like, is every shift there's something going on where you get a, you know, a glove in the face or an elbow in the head or a guy was sticking or stabbing you, and, and things would always happen, right? Yep. Now there's not much of that anymore. I'm not sure why, but that's just the way it is. My first game in Brandon, actually, it was uh, my first game. I was coming across Blue Line. That was my first game in the league, I think. Came across the line, and Jeff Rogers, boom, elbow right in the chin. <laughs> Not even a penalty. Not nope. even a penalty. Now he's kicked out of the league, probably, but now that was something else. I'll never forget that. And I go, welcome to the league. And that's just the way it was. It was just dirty hockey. Yep. Well, and there's another guy, Jeff Rogers. I mean, that guy scored 30 goals a bunch of seasons in Brandon, as well as yep. fighting 30 times, too. I mean, yeah, I mean... Unbelievable. Well, like I said, another team, Medicine Hat. Well, first of all, Medicine Hat, you know, coached by Barry Melrose at the time, um, yep. ha- had Trevor Linden, and uh, and, another, and another guy, an underrated toughness, uh, smaller, but uh, he could really go with Rob DeMaio. Yeah, you betcha. Yep. He was a quick player, too. They had, um, who was the one winger, big winger there? Young, he was a young guy when I played first or two. Uh, the Gainer? Clayton Gaynor, yeah, you fought him too. Clayton actually. Gaynor, yeah, he was. Uh, there was a guy, that guy there. He was just a big, thick, tough man. Uh, he would talk at the same time, but he he intimidated people. And that's the thing back in those days. It was all about intimidation. And like I was telling the guys now, like if I played hockey now, there'd be no fear at all. Oh. And I know back then a lot of players made for a game against Saskatoon or Prince Albert or any team. You'd be thinking twice about. You know, the, the whole week you're thinking, who am I going to fight or who's going to do this to me, who's going to do that to me? You'd be worried. You have, you have a little bit of anxiety. And uh, I think nowadays players have zero anxiety. There's there's none of that going on. But back then it was every game, and you had to you have to be tough. Yep. You had to deal with that and, and do whatever you had to do to, to uh, get over it. Yep. Well, and like you said, and then you had, like, Medicine Hat, Ryan McGill, Neil Wilkinson, Dean Chanel, Jason Prasovsky, Dan Cordick, Clayton Gaynor. I mean, you know. <laughs> Beautiful. And, yeah, you know. And then meanwhile, you got, you know, Mark Peterson get with 53 goals and Linden with 46, DeMaio with 47. I mean, you know, so, you know, there was, uh, you know, and then Prince Albert. Well, here's a perfect example. I mean, you played against Mike Medano. 
Yep. He was a, he was a rookie, a 17-year-old from Michigan. Um, 127 points that year, him and Kevin Todd and Len Mark just ripping it up in PA. How good was Mike Medano back then? Oh, man, Mike Medano was unbelievable. I remember I remember if we were if they got a power play against us, honestly, God, that guy, he, every time he'd go end-to-end untouched. He'd come on her end, he'd circle a few times, set up, and bang, goal, or a good shot on that. The guy was amazing, and you couldn't hit the guy. If you line him up, he'd just slip away from you and just keep going. And the guy had so much talent and great player. Well, another play, great player, Joe Sackick. Yep. I played against him, too, yep. my first year in the league. And yep. I'll never forget that. I was, it was in Regina. I think it was our first game of the year. I went to do an open ice hit, line him up for center ice, and I was getting full tilt, and I saw him. I closed my eyes for a second because we were going to collide, and bang, he was around me like nothing. <laughs> I was like, geez, I missed them. Totally missed them. That's how good he was. He was an amazing player. Just awesome. So many, so many Hall of Famers back then, eh? I played against. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And like you said, well, like Medano, and then, um, you know, just to finish off PA, I mean, here you have a guy like Darren Kimball, who was one of the toughest guys in the league. He had 71 points. He had 35 goals, too, and 300 minutes of penalties. And, you that know, guy was a beauty. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, I'm, of course. I remember, I remember going up there one night, a cold, cold winter night. And good old Mark Jansen's name had three fights right in front of our bench. And I was 16 years old watching this. And like I said, it was drop the mitts, helmets off. He grabbed on. It was bang, bang. Like every shot was in the face, in the nose. Like I saw it, like right up close. They didn't go down. They just had enough. They stopped with the penalty box. Came out next shift, same thing. Three in a row. And I remember Mark's nose was under his bloody eye. That night going home from, from PH Regina, he had to get a nose surgery after that. But, wow, that's, to me, like, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. And that was, for a six-year-old to see that, that was like, wow, it was pretty pretty uh, amazing, actually. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I, I've, I've talked to Darren on Twitter about that. And he actually, I think he mentioned those Jansen fights because... He wanted to, actually, I think he asked one time if anybody had that video, he wants to see it. <laughs> I said, unfortunately, <laughs> most of the stuff isn't on video anymore, you know, which sucks because there was so much good stuff. But, uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, Rich Pilon, Reed Simpson, you know, and, you know, on and on. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, PA, that old barn, you know, in the agri- uh well, here's a name I want, I wanted to throw at you. Um, he, I mean, he bounced all over the minors and, he had quite the rep, but uh, and I think you think you played with him a little bit in the minors. Was uh, Trevor Job? Yeah, Trevor Job. Yeah, interesting guy. Yeah, <laughs> um, he played in Swift Current, right? Um, I didn't play with him. I played against him in the minors in the East Coast. So he, that guy, there's a lot of those guys back then who had amazing numbers. Oh yeah, like just like unbelievable. Like how does a guy get that many goals and assists? Like, unbelievable, and never make it to the show. And uh, I played against him in the East Coast League, and I think he's the all-time leading scorer in the East Coast League or something. He's got some record there. But uh, he was a very talented player. He was a bigger guy, too. Not a tough guy, but he could play hockey, boy. Yeah, well, it was always like, yeah, like you said, Moose Jaw that one year, 58 games, he had 54 goals. And then, you know, it's like... Oh, so, and then in the minors, the one year, like you said, Nashville and East Coast League, 85 goals and 76 assists. It's like, what? Wow. You, you know, like, oh, his points total is just ridiculous. And it was just, you know, and even in the American League, you know, but it was just, 
I don't know, obviously dude had issues, I guess, I don't know, or whatever, but yeah, it was, yeah. everywhere he went was just ridiculous amount of points, and it, it was always just, uh, and like you said, just a minor league lifer, and played everywhere, and it was always just interesting. Um, actually, a guy on PA that uh, you would have run-ins with for your whole career, it seemed, uh, or would play against or, or with, would uh, Brian Pellerin. Yeah, Pellerin. There's a guy. He was a he was a very big guy. I'll tell you, he played with a lot of heart. He was a tough guy, tough as nails. Pretty powerful, power, one of the toughest guys in the league. And every game, you had to be ready for him because he was he was going to come and hit you and play hard, and he would drop mitts at any time. And uh, me and Pelly had a fight actually in, in um, I was in Utah in the IHL under Butch Goring there. I forget. I think he was playing for Vegas or someone. I forget. But we had a fight. And he gave me cut over top of the eye and stuff. And but he he was always a gamer. You have to respect the man so much. I, I those kind of guys you have to respect so much. They just played hard every game and they were awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Oh, While well, we're getting there, he actually played for the Chicago Wolves when he fought him. Um, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I got the whole Frank Kovacs fight card right in front of me here. We're going to be going over it. <laughs> um, um, well, like you said, speaking of Hall of Famer, you know now you you roll down and go play in the old Crush Can and Moose Jaw. And there's Theron Fleury, you know, and uh, and uh, and they weren't without their toughness. Of course, they had Lyle Odeline, Jim McKenzie, and uh, well, first of all, what was it like playing against Fleury? Theron Fleury was like probably the most talented player in the league, um, but he had such a hot head; he could never stay in a game for the whole game. He gets suspended for some reason, or yelled at the ref for doing something stupid. But he'd always have like two or three goals every night. Yep. But he just loses his mind, and he would just—he was honestly a great showman. Really, the fans hated his guts, um, but he loved it, and he did a good job. But, but if he ever kept his cool, I tell you, he'd be probably even more amazing. Uh, the play against guy—you've seen the goals he scored, like between his legs, top shelf, just do stuff that was unbelievable. Puck and uh, so much talent, such great player. But he probably could have been better if he kept the school. Yeah, well, like I said, the year we're talking about here in 87, 88, 65 games, guy had 68 goals, 92 assists, oh. at 235 minutes in penalties, you know. Yeah. And that, I mean, like you said, 235 minutes, it's not like he was fighting. So it's like, yeah, that's just a whole bunch of stupid penalties, you know. Right. And it's like, can you imagine if he cut that total in half, how many points he would have had, you know. <laughs> like, you know what, though, Darren Fleury knew, he had guys to back him up too, right? Oh yeah. The guy that Jim McKenzie O'Line, uh, those guys were there to back him up, obviously, so he could play that way. But you know, maybe that's what made him play so good too, because he, he's playing all these chippy and stuff. And in a way, I know those were in fights, but he was a tough player. He'd go into the corners, and he'd, yep. he'd dig around and stuff. He wasn't scared of mixing things up, that's for sure. And he was, uh, he was quite the mouthpiece, obviously, but um, he was tough in a way. You know, looking back like Dale Durkatz when I played, when I watched him play as a kid, Dale Durkatz had un- amazing numbers, like yeah. unbelievable. And I remember him fighting a few times. Like even Dale Durkatz fought back then. Mm-hmm. He wasn't scared to fight. You know? No, absolutely. Um, well, and, <laughs> and I have to throw this name at you too. And, um, and he, you know, he had a hell of a minor league career. And uh, and I've had, I've talked to more than a few guys on this show here have had, uh, well, he's not real popular. We'll put it that way. It was uh, Jerome Bouchard? <laughs> Jerome Bouchard. 
There's a guy. He's um, I've met him a few times after uh, junior hockey, and he's a hell of a nice guy, obviously. But he played. He just played hard. Jerome played hard. He, you know, every game he was in there, he was mucking up, and he had the luck. He had the no teeth. He had the goatee. He had the long hair, and you know, he, he, he was pretty flashy player that way. Um, I'm not sure if he was a real tough guy, but he wasn't. He didn't back down from too many guys. But he just played hard as a grinder, like, you know, good hits here and there. That's the kind of guy I remember Joe Bichard as. Yep. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, like you said, played a long time in Columbus there and uh, in Birmingham. And, uh, yeah, I mean, put up points, put up, lot, you know, a lot of pims. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, just look at there and Moose Jaw. He put up some good numbers, like, you know, 40 goal guy. And, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's been uh, he's been a kind of a polarizing character on on the show here, um, talking to different oh, really? people. Yeah, there's been a few yeah. folk, guys talking about him, but but they all say the same thing. Like the guy had talent and everything, but yeah, they just uh, pretty dirty and uh, you know, yeah, yeah. But, but who wasn't dirty? Well, the, you know, <laughs> who wasn't? You know, what I mean, I know he maybe did a few more things more, but I think a lot of guys just played. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Maybe he's more to stick. I'm not sure, but. He was uh, yeah. just a gamer, just a guy who wouldn't play hockey, play hard. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, oh, I'm sure there's probably a lot of, what's the old, a lot of pot and kettle, you know. <laughs> oh, for sure. Calling guys dirty, yeah. and it's like, well, you know. But, um, well, and out west, I mean, obviously you guys didn't see the western teams very much uh, back then. I think, was it one one trip there, and then they came they came here once, wasn't it? Yeah, back in those days, it was one trip that we played with it. Was it, did they have nine teams out there or eight teams out there? I forget what it was. Anyways, it was like, say, they had eight teams. We played eight games in 11 days. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was a busy, busy schedule, a tough schedule. And, uh, my first year, they had, as you know, the New Westminster Bruins, Tough yeah. Hills, Spokane Chiefs, and all those guys. It was crazy, crazy trips. Yeah, well, like you said, of course, well, like you said, in Kamloops, you know, you know, Hitchcock out there coaching, and, uh, I mean, Mark Recchi putting up a ton of points, and, uh, yeah. But yeah, New West, what was it like going into the Queens Park Arena in that place? Oh, I I don't remember it too well, but it was an old, old, grungy, dirty rink, and, of course, New West has a reputation to be a very, very tough, tough team, and, and uh, it was a very intimidating rink to be part of, that's for sure. And same as Camus. Camus had a tough team and, and that old rank they had too. And they, yeah, it was just, again, those games were, you have to, you have to grow up pretty quick and be a man because otherwise you, you couldn't take it. It was, it was that, that intimidating for sure. Well, and, uh, in Spokane, like you, you mentioned the Chiefs and, um, you know, Dean, you and Darcy Lowen, but the one character, that uh, that everyone remembers and a legendary uh, for numerous things, most of which didn't happen on the ice. But um, and I believe you did. You I don't know if you played with, with them in Cape Breton or against them. Um, against them. Against was Link Gates. The missing Link. I'll tell you what a legend, eh? Holy smokes! Yeah, he was the old Oglethorpe of uh, the Western League. Yep. Everyone knew about Link Gates. Again, we didn't play against him much, right? Nope. Two times, once there, once here. But everyone knew about Link Gates. He had a reputation of a, of a very, very tough man, and he was, and crazy. And uh, thankfully, <laughs> I didn't get the chance to fight him, but he was he was a big, big, tough guy. Um, I think he could do what he wanted out there. That's the way it was. Um, again, back fast forward in Cape Breton, he was there. And uh, I'll never forget the one game. He wasn't having a very good game. 
and I forget the quote she had there, but uh, it was between periods, and I heard after the fact, the coach kind of gave me heck for, you know, playing crappy or taking bad penalties. And Link lost his mind and chased him around the dressing room. And the coach locked himself in a room and basically people had to restrain Link. And that was it. He uh, didn't play the rest of the game. But he sat in the crowd, and the guy's a monster. He had his white dress shirt on, his suit jacket, no tie. And he sat right across his own team's bench and stared at his coach the whole game and tended his coach. <laughs> <laughs> he was a crazy man, that guy. Crazy guy. We got a chance to meet him later on, too. He, um, we taught a hockey school together. And uh, he was trying to turn his life around at that time. And we he kind of, we tried to, you know, play friend, I guess, in a way. But uh, one of those guys that you can never really trust. He's just, we call him the missing link for a reason. A nice yep. guy, but he was, uh, he had some issues, issues in his life, I think. Yeah, well, it's a, like everybody says, right? Like sober, really nice guy, and and everything. But as soon as you know it gets into the alcohol, it just becomes, you know, instant idiot, right? And uh, yeah, you know, and unfortunately, he had the big, the, you know, the real the car accident with the brain injury and everything. I mean, obviously, that didn't. Well, that ended his NHL career, so it was like you know, but uh, which obviously the add the brain injury into alcohol. I mean, obviously, it's just straight downhill from there. But um, yeah, but I know at that time. Uh, talk to people back then, like, you know, he was a second-round pick, and, and like they said, he should have had, dude should have had a 15-year NHL career. I mean, he was he was yep. that that good. Like you said, he could, yep. was, he was that tough, and, like, he should have been Bob Probert, right? Like, he was that tough and could skate and yep. size, and, yeah, it was just, yep. uh, you know, but unfortunately. That's why I like, uh, when, I, when I started following you on Twitter, that's why I really appreciate you, because, you understand what, what what those guys were all about. And I, at times, here and there, watch YouTube, and I pull up the old um, NHL fights with Bob Probert and Ty Domi and, and those kind of guys, Joey Kosher. And, wow, like, if you don't respect those guys, there's something wrong with you because they were the toughest guys ever. The, the way they fought back then and the way they played hockey, unbelievable. Like, even Wendell Clark, Wendell Clark's a 50-goal scorer. He fought all the heavyweights in the NHL. He fought Bob Probert. Yep. And in my opinion, if you ever fought Bob Probert, you're an amazing person because he was a tough, tough man. And uh, like you said, Link Gates was was not good. And unfortunately, you know, things didn't work out for him, but he could have been been one of those guys. He's, he still is with a short career, right? People know who he is. He had a great reputation. Absolutely, yeah, and and some legendary, uh, some legendary battles, and like you said, well, him him at twenty one years or twenty two years old, fighting Bob Probert in the Cow Palace in San Jose when Probert's in the prime of his career, you know, and he was given as good as he was getting, and uh, that was right there. And it was like, oh, you saw the glimpse of what could have been, and then unfortunately that summer he had the car accident, but uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, what a character. I mean, we, like I said, we'll keep going here because, I mean, we could talk all night about Link Gates stories, but uh, yes. that's a whole episode on its own. But, um, well, the following year in 88-89, uh, um, well, you, you, come to, you come to Regina and you have a new coach. Um, you, uh, yeah. Dennis Sobchuk and Bernie Lynch. Um, you know, unfortunately, you guys finished in last that year. It was kind of a rough year, but... Um, uh, like, did you at seventeen? Did you start? Uh, you know, you had sixteen goals. Obviously, you're starting to get a little more. You know, another next second tour of duty. And how did that? Uh, how did you feel that year? 
gaining confidence. Yeah. And, uh, that was an interesting year. Um, a lot of good, but a lot of bad. Um, good because I was looking forward to my sophomore year in the, in the league with the Pats. I felt great. I started off great with numbers-wise. Um, but for whatever, whatever reason, Bernie Lynch was our assistant coach. And they wanted me to take up the fighting game aspect of it. They wanted me to you know, play more of that role. And I was thinking, well, why? I, I enjoy them scoring goals here. I'm playing tough. And I was wanting to think to play, make the NHL that way. I wasn't really never uh, a goon. I, like back then, no. there's guys that strictly just did that. And I never picked myself to be that player. I wanted to play tough, play hard, and if a fight happened during the play or something, no problem. But to prevent these fights for nothing, that wasn't really me. And at that time, I wanted to play in the NHL, and they had the NHL scouting, and myself, Heward, and Stones were right in the first round. Like, we were first-round draft picks. Like, I remember back then, they had those magazines and leagues, and we had pictures on the front page, like first-round draft picks. And I was thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. That's what they thought of us. And then, uh, unfortunately, Dennis Sobjek, who I have a lot of respect for, stepped down as coach because Bernie Lynch was... To be honest, was kind of undermining him behind his back, and Dennis just had enough, and he stepped down. And I think uh, Dennis probably wanted to quit, but he stayed on as GM. Bernie took over, and uh, from then it went downhill for me. And I, to be honest, there was a point in that year I wanted to quit hockey. Um, he really, really just was on my case for to wanted me to play a certain way, and he never gave me ice time, never gave me a chance, and really um, emotionally kind of like screwed me over. And uh, we had an amazing team. Like you look on paper, we had probably, I think we had six draft picks that year, I think. We had a hell of a team in yep. last place. And I'm not sure if I'm blame Brady Lynch for it, but in my opinion, he was not the right guy for that job. And uh, just an interesting guy. Um, I don't want to talk bad about too many people, but he was probably one of the coaches that, I least liked in my in my whole career, um, but again, I guess we look back then is a lot of players. You, you don't get perfect coaches all the time, so you take the good with the bad, right? And the bad with the good. And you learn from that. And Bernie was definitely one of those guys that I learned a lot of stuff about uh, not to be like. Yeah, well, like you said, the talent, and I mean, one of the guys you had was a seventeen-year-old D man who went on to have a lengthy NHL career with Kevin Holler, and uh, yep. you know, and. Uh, well, another guy I wanted to ask, speaking of toughness, um, I kind of glazed over him the first time, but, uh, you know, of course, he went on to have the NHL career and, uh, you know, won a cup and, uh, and, you know, tough dude. Boy, the chief, uh, Scott Daniels. Scotty, you know what, Scotty was, it's funny, like I was thinking about before I was going to talk to you about all this stuff, and when you play with these guys, like Scotty Daniels didn't seem like a tough guy, like a heavyweight tough guy. He's just a, a funny, go lucky guy. He had he had a lot of talent, to be honest. Yes, that he guy did. had some great hands, great hands. I see him score some beautiful goals, but he had a reputation. And sometimes in hockey, the media or your team builds you up, and all of a sudden you're a tough guy. And he had the reputation you're the chief, the chief. And but yeah, Scott could fight. He dropped the gloves and he had some really good tilts. But I don't think he really liked it either. But he ended up having a great hockey career in the NHL, and he, he was one of those fighters that uh, did that for, for a career. 
but uh, a fun guy to play with, always joking around, and uh, always had a good laugh on his face. He was a good guy, great guy to play with. Yeah, and that's, uh, well, and like we were saying, kind of, we, you know, um, what I always like try to tell people, especially back then in the 80s and 90s, yeah, these guys were like the Kimballs and the Scott Daniels and the Mark Jansons, and like, yeah, these guys were like heavyweight fighters, and like the Craig Berubis yeah. and stuff that went on to the NHL, and I always, oh, goon, that's such a stupid term, but whatever, whatever people want to call them, fourth-line guys, um, yep. I think people fail to realize, well, I know they re- they do not realize how, how much talent these guys had. And it's like, yeah, everyone had a role at that point once you turn pro or whatever. But like you said, back in junior, there's Kimball with 37 goals. Looking at Scott Daniels, guy was a point-of-game player. 21 goals that this year we're talking about. The following year, 53 games, 28 goals. I mean, you know, we're not just, we're not talking two-minute dummies here that never played. But these guys had talent, you know. And that's a frustrating exactly. thing when you get on social media and you have these people talking like these guys just, you know, they didn't play with a stick or something and they are just morons. It's like, no, you know, like you said, the talent Daniels had, unbelievable. And that's the thing, like, you're, that's why, again, like, like, I like watching you on Twitter and stuff because you get it. Like, most of these players we're talking about, they were phenomenal hockey players. Yes. And they fought. And I'll tell you now, you know yourself, there's not one player, not many players at all do that anymore to fight that way. Not even close. But those guys did it game in, game out, and year after year, and played hockey, and put up the numbers. And, uh, yeah, I respect them a lot, that's for sure. Because when you play in that era, you, you, you see what they go through, and it's pretty amazing. And I, like I was saying, like, you know, you play with all these guys or against them, and I, I didn't have that um, that kind of mean streak in me to be a tough guy or heavyweight. But I, I think with my size, yeah, I don't know, like, I... I think I'd probably do pretty against against him too, but he, I guess he enjoyed doing it more than I did, right? So that's why he was that kind of guy. Well, it's a mindset too, right? Like, you yeah. have to put yourself in that mindset. And, uh, yeah, which, you know, obviously always isn't the easiest thing. But, uh, um, yeah, like you said, it's, uh, what's the old saying? I mean, uh, either you, you can or you can't, right? It's, you can't... Uh, can't paint stripes on a house cat and call him a tiger, you know. So it's, right, right. You know, it's either in you or it's not. Right, uh, right. And there's, like you said, there's so many players that, geez, they never even had a had a name really. But I, I remember guys come up and for a couple of games or a year and they'd be sent down. There's so many players that they they were tough. Like they go in there and they drop the nets and fight, and they were not scared. But they didn't make it. Obviously, too bad. Yeah. I remember those guys, yeah. and they you have to respect them because they dropped the mitts and they went toe to toe. Unfortunately, they didn't make it, but I'll never forget those guys either because you have to respect that. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, Regina, there. You know, we talked like about a guy like Mike Dick or something like that, or uh, you know yeah. Kelly Marquardt and and stuff like that. And um, well, and a couple youngsters here that I'm just looking at the Regina roster and 16 year old. He only played the eight games, but I mean, of course, went on. Um, in terms of tough guys, I mean, everybody knows the name John Paduke. I mean, yeah. you know, and he was in Regina there for eight games as a 16-year-old. And then another guy, uh, Mark Cipriano, you know. Yeah. You know, and he played. Yeah, exactly. There's those guys right there that they went on to play a lot of years, and they did, did their job right. They fought game in, game out, and you have, you have to respect that. Like Johnny Paduke, I'll never forget him. We got him in the past, and like at that time, like he was a, a 
one year younger, two years younger than me. And I respect him, obviously, he's my teammate and stuff, but, you know, well, it's, he wasn't that good of a player and wasn't that great of a fighter, but then then you kind of lose track of the guy. But he had a great, great career, a long career, and he made a name for himself for showing up every game and fighting. No, absolutely. So you, have to, you have to respect him for that, for sure. Yeah, while just rolling through the league that time, 88-89, like you're saying, uh, you go to Swift Current, and there was uh, another Sackick there. That was tearing it up as a 16-year-old, Joe's younger brother, Brian. Now, people might not even realize that Joe had a brother, but how good was Brian Sackick in the Western Hockey League? Exactly. Brian Sackick put up some great numbers. Unbelievable. But but unfortunately, he was in his brother's shadow, obviously. And to me, the guy was the guy you had to watch for. And obviously, look at his stats, he, he did his job. But he never got the, the press or the status like his brother did, obviously, which is too bad for Brian. And I'm not even sure if Brian did end, end up playing pro after. Yeah, he played in the East Coast and then the Colonial and Flint for you know after about six or seven years. But yeah, and had like put up big numbers in the U-Haul and stuff. But just yeah, but yeah like from 16 to 20. I mean, he had 400 point seasons in the Western League, including 162 points in one year. And he was drafted in the fifth round by Washington, but just. Just nothing, and it's just you know never made the you know it was just weird because I remember watching him just like insane point. I just wanted to ask you about him because it was like what's I mean you know well yeah I mean we're gonna get into that I mean guys fall through the cracks or somebody of some importance doesn't like you and you just never get it I guess but I don't know I never understood it with him. I think Brian was one of those players where um, you could say he wasn't flashy, but he was. He, he always come out of the game with four or five points, it seems. But sometimes you want to notice him. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that was why he didn't make it as far as he should have. Um, but he was talented. Like, he did it. And again, you know yourself, there's lots of players in those days that had lots of points and did lots of good things. Yep. But they just could not have a pro career with that. And I think, I don't know, when you, I played 11 years pro and I can speak, speak myself. You really have to have something more to play pro, especially as an adult now. After my career's over, but you got to be a different kind of person to play pro hockey. You have to really want to do it because it's tough, right? Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe some of those guys didn't have that. Maybe I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I've had, I've got a lot of friends who are scouts in the NHL, and sometimes I'm not sure what they look for. But because uh, I might think some player's a great guy or a great great player, they'll say, "Oh no, he's not good enough." Well. I'm not sure how that works. Like, in my opinion, if Brian Sackett can put that many numbers up in junior hockey, I think he can put at least half those numbers up in the NHL. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. But again, like like you know, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Sometimes yeah. you're not meant you're not meant to be, or or the team that drafted you doesn't have you in their in their system, or they just don't seem to make you fit with them. So that's it. Yep. And then you get a name for yourself, and then you're kind of done. So, Well, that's, that's the thing, right? Goes, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, all, of, all of a sudden you get that label of minor leaguer put on you, and that ain't coming yeah. off. That's a scarlet letter, right? And it's it yeah. doesn't, and it's almost it doesn't matter what you do, unfortunately. And that's what I try to tell people. I've said that on Twitter many times. I'm like, you know, these people get caught up looking at numbers or whatever. And I said, don't think every guy in the NHL is better than every guy in the American League. Because that ain't true. Oh. I can tell you that. There's lots of guys in the American League that are better than some of the guys in the NHL. 
but you know, hundred percent. Their maybe their agent wasn't good. <laughs> they didn't have the best agent, or they just after they just you know, you like you said, you get that label put on you, or someone somewhere didn't like you, and that was it. Yes. Yeah, yep, that's right. And we'll talk about agents later. I think agents are a big part of yep. like your success in hockey too. And your uh, success or detriment, right? Yep, yep. So our threes back in the day was hard shoot the breeze. <laughs> You're the guy that first off. So I was saying to you before myself, you were in Sounds were in the first round. So also on summer, you get a call from a guy named Don Meehan. Don Meehan's one of the most famous NHL agents. Ever. He's got all the big names. He's done very well for himself. And he met with myself, Jamie, and Mike, and Regina with our families to kind of just share with us what he does. And he liked to have us as his clients because we were going to be first rounders. And at that time, I was like, well, that's really nice. That's great. He's a, I really didn't know who he was, but he was pretty, pretty professional and big name. And then uh, during that year with Brian Lynch, my second year, things weren't going so well. And then uh, I didn't get drafted. And Don Meehan didn't call me as much, and which is understandable. He was busy with his other guys. Then Art Reese kind of slipped in the side door with me and called me almost every day, telling me the right things. And I basically dropped Don Meehan and took Art Reese, which was the dumbest thing for me to do. But I felt, well, this guy cares about me. He's calling me all the time. He'll do good. For, he'll do good work for me. But later on, you find out that he wasn't a very respected agent at all, and that kind of hurts the guy sometimes. Whereas Don Meehan, if a, a team has a stack of Don Meehan's clients, they'll look at that more than our breezes. Because Don Meehan was respective of the NHL um, teams. That's what I learned down later on down the line, but at, at a young age, you have no clue, right? Well, and especially back then, I mean, you're, you know, everything, I mean, really, I mean, there, you know, there's no internet or no, like, you, you don't just, you can't go ask anybody this stuff. I mean, you know, right. the information just wasn't out there. Right, I mean everything's so, everything's so much more transparent now, and so much more information yeah. can be obtained compared to back yeah. then. I mean, you were just punching in the dark, really. I mean, you didn't know, and if you didn't know it, if you didn't have a family member or a friend that was going through it or had gone through it, I mean, like you said, you were just, uh, you know, you were you're. It's almost like you were kind of a sitting duck to all these guys, right? Pretty much, I learned everything myself the hard yeah. way. Um, like I said, like how I started hockey, I started, you know, that way myself. I met the coach and I did that, and then city hockey, and then I made the pass. I honestly had no clue how to make the NHL. I didn't know about the draft. I didn't know about how it worked. I didn't know anything about it until I went through it myself. So I learned that as I went along. And same with the agents. I just, you know, some guy talks to you, okay, I'll sign a contract, blah, blah, blah. You have no idea. You have no clue. But... That's how you learn sometimes, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, right? I mean, that's yeah. exactly. But, um, yeah, well, just kind of just wrapping up your second year, I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, going through just the league, I mean, um, you know, you had a couple couple tilts that year. You fought Brent Thompson in Medicine Hat. Uh, there's another guy. I mean, he went on and played in the minors for a long time, tough dude. And uh, Bart Cote and... Uh, yeah, I think... I think- with myself and fighting like guys like Brent Thomas and Barcote, they're like bigger guys and stuff. But I think as a player, you know that there's some guys that are kind of like yourself with kind of same status. And those, like Brent Thomas was a little tougher. He, he could fight. Yep. But again, with my size, I wasn't too worried about these kind of guys. And they weren't, they weren't heavyweights either. They, 
they did it as they needed to as well, and I had no problem fighting those guys at all. I think I fought Bart Cote in Regina, and uh, I gave it to him pretty good. <laughs> but Bart's a good friend of mine now. He's a teacher in Regina here. He's an actually principal, and uh, he's a great guy. But uh, I was good. He was a competitor, like like all the guys were back then. Yep. Yeah, and uh, well, he came seeking revenge the next year. I know you fought him again, and uh, when he was playing for Brandon. Um, yeah. Well, so you don't get drafted. So obviously, okay. So now you're going into the uh, um, eighty nine ninety season, and yep. this is like. Uh, you know, uh, you, you had 26 goals. The you know, all of a sudden you you know the nine the nine tilts. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to say you picked your game up, but I mean you know, um, obviously as uh, at this point, uh, 18, it's your third year in the league. Um, did you sort of take on a much more? Did you have that much more? Like obviously now you're a veteran. Yeah. Um, well, and then again, another coach, Brad Tippett. And here is your third coach in three years. Um, yep. What was the mood going into that year? Like, did you have a pretty big chip I'll, on your shoulder at that point? I'll tell you, that was um, again. I guess time before my second year in the Pats. There was a time where I wanted to quit hockey that year, and I wasn't really too happy, and I wasn't getting treated too good by uh, by Bernie Lynch. And it was it was a tough emotional year to uh, to go through it. And then the, the second, the third year. I come into training camp, and Brad Tipp is brand new, and this guy doesn't know anyone, and he didn't really give anyone any favors. And it didn't matter if you're a third-year guy, fourth-year guy, or second-year guy. He was saying, hey, you're all the same to me. And um, so I'm not sure what my reputation was to him going into the season, but the first part of the year, I didn't get much ice time. It was tough. It was um, frustrating. And I things happen all of a sudden he put myself Jimmy Splett and Gary Pierce together and for whatever reason that line was later on called the beef line um, I felt like such a, a, a connection with these guys and a leader in that line because Jamie was a little quiet too and Gary was not the best skater but we clicked and we honestly was a third line of that team but we dominated um, I remember going to games where we would just dominate and get shots and that and that and just crush guys and just physically dominate players and teams. And uh, yeah, it just clicked. And, and then from that, I, I had a really good season because I had I forget how many goals and assists, but just physically dominated. And that's when I got drafted by the Minnesota North Stars in the fourth round, setting first overall. Yeah, no, absolutely, and like you said, and uh, you know, from uh, you know, and uh, um, you know, from the previous year when you know you were just with the two fights, now you had nine, and uh, you know, like well, there we were talking about them earlier. I mean, Barry Drager, um, Paul Wall, and here's another. There's a tough dude that you took on, uh, Paul Cruz, the Cruz Missile. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Then, and another tough guy, Clayton Norris, Medicine Hat, Dave Nielsen, and PA, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember those guys. I remember the fight against uh, Paul Cruz. We were playing Camelots in Regina, and it was a big game. It was sold out, and there was a lot of scouts in the stands that game. And at that point, I was really feeling good about myself and, you know, really wanted to uh, show myself to these scouts. And it was that a really good game? I think I scored the goal or something like that that game. But then a situation came on the boards in their end where uh, we started bumping each other, and 
Yeah, we just dropped missed that good fight. And it's funny, again, I could tell you, like Paul Cruz, like you said, like the heavyweight champ and, you know, big time fighter in the NHL. But I looked back then, it's like, well, I didn't find that much, not that tough. But he turned out to be a really tough guy. So sometimes I wonder if I had something more in me, how would I turn out? But it just wasn't meant to be that way. But, uh, yeah, I remember fighting Paul Cruz and Clayton Norris. He was a tough guy, too, minutes snap. He was a gamer every game, too. No, ab- absolutely. And, uh, while you said, yeah, you had the, the, the 26 goals that year. And, uh, now, like, so that year, like you said, I know you, you're, you're like, you know, you said physical guy. And did, did you make it, uh, like a conscious effort to fight more that year? Or was it just, they just, you played physical and it happened? Exactly. I think, I think that's, was my game. Um, again, I wasn't really one of those guys who premeditate fights, but, uh, the way we played the game that year, myself, Jamie, and Gary, we were just so physical that things just happened that way. And uh, it wasn't planned. It just just the way it happened. And uh, that's that's when I was more effective as a player. When I fought, I just played hard. If crap happened, you took care of business, and that was it. And uh, so I had nine fights here, you said? Yep. Yeah, so I can't even recall that, but it was just fun. Like, we had so much fun that year myself Jamie and Gary and the fans loved us and the team loved us and I remember Brad Tippett had a lot of faith in us because he put us out in some big situations where you think he wouldn't but that's that's how good we were we were a good line and we did the job and uh, I'm, I'm actually of all my years I was probably one of the most proudest years playing for those two guys yeah no absolutely I mean like you said big season and uh you know, and uh, I noticed one of the guys um, on that team that year um, that you guys picked up um, was Troy Mick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a big year with you guys, 60 goals. and uh, Troy Mick was phenomenal. He was a, yep. a, such a great teammate. Um, he came in from Portland, and you can tell he, he lived a different lifestyle than we did. He was in a big city. He comes here. He was almost like a... A man amongst boys. He's just a cool guy, um, very relaxed, and uh, just a great attitude, great personality. And I learned so much from that guy on how to score goals, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of boys or men, they learn by watching, and that's how I did it. So I used to watch Tremek in games and in practice, how he'd handle the puck and how he'd get and shoot it and where he'd put the puck and stuff. And honest to God, that's that's where I started learning to score goals from Troy Mick. Because I just watched how he did it. And uh, we became pretty good friends and stuff. And again, a great teammate. And I'll never forget him. And I saw him actually two summers ago when he was in Regina. And uh, it was just great reminiscing with him. And we had a good laugh. Him and Scott Daniels are pretty good friends too. Yeah, like I said, uh, unbelievable talent and uh, the numbers he put up in the in the Western League, and and there you go, right? Perfect example. I mean, you know, kind of the, you know put up the big points in junior, and then you know, um, you know, obviously d- d- didn't really go on to pro, you know, a couple seasons, but uh, yeah, it was just one of those guys, right? And uh, yep. yeah, unbelievable talent. And, and uh, well, speaking of unbelievable talent, just kind of going through the league at that time. I mean, Swift Current, there was a character there, uh, Kimby Daniels. Um, yeah, there. You know, he was a great player. He he could just wheel. I tell you, he had a lot of talent. Yeah, a lot of talent. And he played. He played again, like like all those guys back then. He played at the edge, and he wasn't uh, a wimp. That's for sure. He played tough too, 
but he had a lot of talent, scored some amazing goals, and he's a big part of that team's uh, success. And wasn't that the year they won the cup with him? I believe so, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was. 89-90, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, so. speaking of unbelievable talent, I mean, uh, you know, in the, I remember in 89-90, the big splash um, when he defected, and of course, I mean, you didn't see him much because he was in Seattle, was Nedved. Yeah, I remember that. It was big, big news in the league back then where yep. Nedved came into the league. And, and uh, again, we didn't see him too, too much. Obviously, one game there, one game here. But, uh, you know, again, again, only two games I saw him. He was a typical um, European back then. Um, they weren't too tough, but a lot of talent. And I remember him have a lot of talent, but when, like, when guys kind of put the stick on him or they kind of you know, rubbed him out a few more times than he liked, he didn't play that good against us anyways. But obviously, he did a great job because he lit it up. <laughs> But again, we only saw him two times, so that's all I know yeah. from the guy. But he had it's a great a, career. You know, it's just interesting look at Seattle at the time. I mean, you had Glenn Goodall there. He had 76 goals, and you had Gervais at 64, and Nedved at 65. Can you imagine all three of those yep. guys on one team? It's just like, you know, Jeez. ridiculous. So you just put up these numbers, like video game numbers, when you're just going through it looking. But uh, What was the one team in Lethbridge my, was my second year? Didn't they have three fi- or five fifty goal scorers? Yeah, Lethbridge. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, actually, I think it was. Uh, it was this year, eighty nine, ninety. Yeah, uh, Corey Lyons, yeah. Wes Walls, Mark Craig. That's right. Kelly Enns, Jason Ruff. Yeah, they all had fifty That's goals. Right. Yeah, That's right. Just amazing numbers, eh? Wow. Yeah, you know what? I keep laughing too. Like you look back, like all those guys had wood sticks. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they put up amazing. Brett Hall, yeah, some goals in the NHL. Wood sticks. Now these guys have all these comps that they can't score fifty. They have a tough time scoring 50. I know things have changed, but it's just funny to uh, put that in perspective. Oh, no center ice and no obstruction. And they still don't score 50. Yeah. You know, these guys are sniping 50 with guys hanging all over them. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, they're exactly right. They're, people don't know this, and you do, obviously. But honestly, God, there's times... I remember going on a partial breakaway, and they're literally hanging off you. Yep. And there's no penalty. Or you're in front of that, the defensive holds your stick, and you just can't... You can't move it. No yep. penalty. There was so much stuff like that back then, and you had to be a tough player. And guys are still scoring that many goals. Now you can't even touch people, right? Well, like you said, even when they dump it in, and I mean, and you're coming in, the get the defense the defense partner is going to hold you up. Now Absolutely. it's just now Every it's time. just now it's just a free range run at the guy. Yep. I'm just thinking it's a different game. Well, I can remember watching you play. Like I couldn't imagine you getting a blue line run at a D man. On a oh, jump in, I used to love that. Yeah, yeah. but with no one standing in front of you now, you know, before the partner would hold you up. Now you got nothing holding you up. Like, and then they wonder why, like, concussions go up and everything. You yeah. know, plus the equipment. That's right. I mean, these guys wear equipment that could stop a bullet, and it's light. Yeah. You know, like I mean, back then I can imagine what your shoulder pads look like. I mean, even though oh, you threw the big hit, you felt it too. Yeah, you're exactly right. They were small, very small back then. But it's funny to set my. Second year, I think, in the past, they got those Donze, they were Donze shoulder pads. They started becoming bigger, like they're like football pads. Yep. And that's when guys are getting bigger hits because you couldn't feel nothing. But my first year, I, I wore those small ones my whole career. They're just like little cuffs on my shoulders, so I, I felt everything. Yep. 
Did um, well now that we're talking about equipment. I just I know a lot of the guys I talk about uh, you know with the jerseys and stuff. And uh, did you ever do anything? Did you ever alter your jersey? I mean, you had guys with tie downs and tearaway sleeves and shorter cuffs or tighter sleeves or bigger sleeves. Did you do any of that? No, back back then, again, like when I first got into the league, that was all new to me. Fighting was new to me, but yeah, we had tie downs. I said, "What's a tie down?" They told us what it was. But that's all we had was titles. I didn't see any of my players like cut the sleeves and alter them and that kind of stuff. But no, no, none of that kind of stuff. No. Did you like being tied down, or did you like getting all your shit off? I, I tied down just because that's what everyone did. Um, like you said, some guys I guess like to take it all off. But no, I like to tie down because I guess you felt some security that it would be tougher to get the jersey over your head. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, uh, well, well, being again, being in Saskatoon, I got to ask you about this one because talk about another Kaminsky type. Um, what was it like playing against Sean Yakimishin? Yeah, you know, he was just a, was he was a small guy, wasn't he? Yep. He was a very small guy, but very talented. Yep. Um, again, like, you have to respect everyone in the league, and guys like Sean Yakimishin was talented, and he was small, and he got on your skin sometimes, but. That was his job, and, and you have to respect that. And I think as the years gone on in my career in the Junior Hockey League and Western League, um, from my first year to my fifth year, things changed a lot, too. It wasn't as as tough, I felt, um, from my first to my fifth year. So guys like Sean Yakimishin could to play his role. He played well. And, uh, yeah, he was just an agitator, but he put the numbers up, didn't he? He did, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, while well, I was all saying that. like, no, go ahead. I remember the guy, another guy like him. Uh, what's the guy in Musha? Rosanzov was his name. Was that his name? Oh, Jesse Rosanzov. Yeah, yeah. He, he was an agitator. <laughs> I remember was that the guy. He was funny. He had he always used to tape his tape up his wrists, and uh, I guess he was a fighter, I guess. But he'd have K and O on his wrist tape, and he put his hands across his chest and put <laughs> KO knockout. <laughs> he was a small little chunky guy. But he was a showman. He was funny. Oh, you got me thinking now. No, that wouldn't Rosanzoff. Um, Trombley? Rob Trombley? No, it wasn't Rob Trombley. Rob wasn't that way. I would think. I thought it was Rosanzoff. He was Rosanzoff was in Swift Current, but he's kind of a bigger dude. Oh. Um, Who's the guy in Musha then that did that? Oh, you got me thinking now. Uh, yeah. Probably my fourth year in the league. Well, they had. Uh, he Bar- wasn't very talented. Just not Barcelona. No. Oh, jeez, I don't know, Jason. I don't even know who it is. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. But yeah, he, t- he taped up his wrist with white tape. He put a K in an O and he kind of crossed his hands after he got into a fighter so and put knockout, right, KO? <laughs> but, uh, I forget that guy's name, though. He's a small, little, chunky guy. Lokes? Speaking of small, chunky guys, remember Chris Conson? Absolutely. And Brandon. There's a guy. Yeah. Wow, and he came to the pass after. That guy was, there's a guy who did zero workouts ever. But wow, what talent. Absolutely raw, natural talent. He was amazing. If that guy ever worked out, unbelievable. Yep. He was the the chief of the Labrette Indian band for a while. I remember that. Yep. Yep. Oh, uh, was he really? Yep. Um, But I can remember talking to somebody, yeah, they were like, Dude could stick out in a phone booth. Unbelievable talent. Oh. They said how good he was. 
if he gave a shit. He, he just was. didn't give a shit, but he said he was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look at you dropping names. That was, <laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> Well, like, well, just going through. Well, here's a name I got to throw out. Speaking of uh, in Spokane, uh, with his reputation, of course, was Kerry Toporowski. Yeah, uh, again, big name, and we don't play him twice a year. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's the same link game. Like those guys, you hear about them, what they're doing on the West Coast and stuff. But he had a good reputation, obviously. Very, very tough player. You know, you know, heavyweight, pretty much. But um, I can't re- I recall playing against him, but nothing really happened. I remember you have to be aware of these guys because, you know, you have your before the game, your game sheets and stats and stuff, and you hear what these guys are all about. But you're aware of the guy. But it seemed that um, those West Coast games, when he went there and they came here, it just there was a little more respect where not much happened, it seemed. You know, they were there, they were big names, and yet they were, but nothing really crazy happened with those teams, it seemed. Yeah, well, like you said, you're not, you know, yeah, I mean, you haven't really built up any animosity. Plus, the, the one team's traveled so far, they're just like, let's get this shit over with. You know, like, That's uh, right. you know, but uh, yeah, like you said, out west at that time, I mean, talk about, like, stacked up and toughness out there, you know, with Tri-City, with Levens and Bowen and Sandwith, and Portland had mm-hmm. Rourke and Dan Luck and Jamie Linden, and then... Victoria and Cipriano Virtue and Baduk and you know it's like yeah they were pretty loaded up wow. there yeah that's great yeah yeah those are good times <laughs> yeah well, good thing they were in the West I guess but uh, yeah. um, well actually a guy I wanted to ask you about in Prince Albert um, that you that you would play against numerous times um, uh, well you had well you had Dan Kessa and Troy Hurtis and stuff but a guy he was uh was uh, Scott Allison. Yep, Scotty Allison. Yeah, of course, he guy. would go on to play in Moose Jaw. The 50-goal year was a first-round pick with the Oilers and, and uh, you know, never really made the, NA, never made the NHL, but bounced around. Of course, he was in Sheffield with you and stuff. But uh, what are your memories of Scott Allison? Scott Allison was a Regina guy playing PA. Um, I remember him <laughs> in the first rounder, and, and I think a lot of guys, didn't really respect him because he really didn't do much it seemed um, big tall skinny guy back in junior not very intimidating at all um, but it's funny when you're in the league and you, you hear people getting drafted and you question you question why how did he get drafted first round but he did so you have to respect that but uh, he never really did much with it it seemed um, later on I played against him in uh, he was in Cape Breton and I was in St. John and we're in Cape Breton. I got in a fight with him, and I, I beat up pretty bad. <laughs> He's, I, I really wasn't like he wasn't really intimidating guy to me. But then later on in Sheffield, we played together again. I, I knew him from what I knew him. Like he just got Allison, and yeah, he was a big, tall, skinny guy. But there, they built him up to be a fighter, and he got some good scraps. And he made a good show, and then he got a good name for himself. And he had a really good career in Sheffield as a as a tough guy. And Scott Allison, talented. He's yep. talented, obviously. He's a first-round draft pick. And then I saw, obviously playing with him more in Sheffield, I saw more of the talent he had. He was actually a pretty good player. But um, I'm not sure if he was a heavyweight in North America, that's for sure. 
Yeah, no, he's just always one of those kind of, uh, he's a pol- kind of a polarizing figure. I remember, you know, going first round and stuff. But uh, but here we are. We get to uh, the draft. And like you said, you went in uh, round four, 71st overall by the Minnesota North Stars. And uh, uh, ex- explain draft day and how that feeling was. And uh, did you uh, have any inclination of Minnesota taking you? Or uh, how did that, how was that day for you? Yeah, throughout the year, uh, a scout named Jim Peterson, who was a local scout regina from Milestone, um, he watched a lot of our games, and I met him quite a few times and, and got to know him that way through the year. And obviously, I thought, well, you know, he likes me, obviously. But um, the draft is in Vancouver, and I flew out there a week before, and uh, I met with a few teams. There were San Jose, Pittsburgh, uh, I think Philadelphia, and then Minnesota, and they interviewed you, and they kind of talked to you and asked a bunch of questions about you know, your goals and what kind of person you are, and blah blah blah. And uh, it went really, really well. I had a really good inter- um, meetings with these guys. And uh, draft day comes, and you're sitting in the stands. I think I was supposed to go in the fifth round or something, or sixth round that year. So I wasn't really, you know, expecting fourth round. So all of a sudden, there was a fourth round setting that overall goes to Minnesota. They picked Cal McGowan from Calips. Okay. And then they had two picks thrown. 71st pick, they, from Regina Scott from Frank Kovacs. I was like, holy smokes, like, this happened. I couldn't believe it. I went down, I met the guys, I met Bobby Clark, and he was a GM back then. It was just really, it was interesting because that's what you always wanted, and you get it. It's like, okay, that's great. But then you realize pretty quickly, what's the next step? There's training camp. There's a contract. And then you start learning a whole new thing about the NHL draft, about making making pro hockey. So getting drafted is great, but it's not everything. <laughs> you still have to make the team and get a contract. So I get drafted city first overall, and I go back. I play in the Pats that following year. And I, I might have had a great year, 50 goals, 51 assists, and you know some good penalty minute numbers. And for whatever reason... They didn't want to sign me. I was like, wow, like, what does the guy have to do? So I think they gave me an offer to my agent, and which kept me under Minnesota's property for another year. And then uh, my last year in the past, they, they signed me to a contract. And they kind of had me with a short encourage because if I, if I didn't sign with them, I'd be a free agent. That's like gambling, right? Then what? What do you do? So they offered me a very, very low contract. And Art Breeze, back to Art Breeze, it seems at that point he wasn't fighting for me at all. Cal McGowan, I saw him later on in training camp, who was 70th overall. He had a $65,000 signing bonus. I think it was a 165 NHL contract and 65 in the minors. And back then that was pretty good. Yep. And then I get offered. He goes, Frank, here's what they're offering you. There's 25000 bucks to sign, 27500 in the minors. Then 135 NHL. And I said, well, Art, I said, I'm happy that I'm getting offered a contract, but Cal McGowan got this. And he goes, well, I think you should take it. <laughs> so, not me, like, well, really, what could I do? Well, yeah. He wasn't fighting for me, so I, I had to sign it, so I signed it. And then you find out pretty much down the road that once you're a low-ball player, you're you're a low-ball player. Like, I was making 27000 bucks in the minors, which is nothing. I found out later on that was the league lowest. I was the lowest paid guy in the league. 
<laughs> so, you know, so, and, and here's me putting up good numbers and work my ass off, and, and then and then you start seeing how other players are getting paid, you know, how not so good they are. So you start feeling, man, I ever get screwed. But again, live and learn, right? But it's pretty shitty. That's how it worked for me. Didn't really make much money in hockey. Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, that's so. While and, and what a draft! Let's you know that draft. I mean, of course, Owen Nolan went first, and I mean, you have yeah, uh, you know, Keith. Of course, Yager goes fourth, and Ned Vett yeah. and Keith Primo and or and uh, Ricci, and I mean, unbelievable. Darian Hatcher was Minnesota's first pick that year, and Brad yeah. Bay and Brodeur, and I mean, unbelievable draft. One of the guys yeah. I wanted to ask you about because you played against them all the time, and you know, and I'm you know, and I'm not. Obviously, you know, played elite level. I'm not knocking the guy, but I just never got it. I never got it. And he went seventh overall to the Islanders with Scott Sissons. <laughs> and I don't. And you played against them all the time. Like, I like what? What? I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I never got the Scott Sissons thing. I, well, Darren, talk. Like you, you get it. Hockey is something you don't get sometimes, and. It's very frustrating because guys like Scott Sissons, who, what did he do? Like, honestly, there, he wasn't a, a stand-up player, in my opinion. He wasn't tough, but he went first overall. And once you're first overall, it seems that you had every chance in the world to play hockey. Yeah. Because now they draft you first overall, they have to save face, give you a contract, and they give you every chance in the world to play pro hockey. And it's not fair because, like you said, there's many players that are way better than Scott Sissons or all these other first rounders that never got a chance. But he did, and good for him. It's not his fault, right? They no, 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 absolutely. So, so good for him, um, but it doesn't make much sense. No, and I, I, I've never, and I've asked people, and I get the same answer. I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, like I said, I watched him all those years, and you know, I mean, you know, he's a decent junior player and everything, but. You know, I just we just couldn't believe he went in the top ten, and I mean, it's just like dude went before Martin Brodeur and Brad May and Darian Hatcher for God's sake. It's like what is going on? You know, and it's I know. You know, anyway, but we'll move on. Like you said, um, so did you? Did you go to Minnesota North Stars camp that year? My first year in training camp, they they were in Russia. They had the, the, the training camp in Russia that one year, so the team was gone to Russia, and we had uh, the rest of us in Kalamazoo. So my first ever training camp pro was in Kalamazoo, and I had a really good training camp. Things were going great, but obviously I got sent back down, and, and I came back, and I uh, had a ton of confidence, felt really good about myself, and, and just had a great year that year with Regina, with Regina again. But, um, yeah, it was fun playing in training camp. It was, uh, you know, all those guys there, Greg Sprengraff, and there was, um, what's his name? He played in Portland. There's Cal McGowan, another guy. Or is he in Kamloops? Forget. Um, Centerman. Anyways, he was. There's a, quite a few West Rockley players in Minnesota's training camp in Kalamazoo, so it's yeah. kind of nice being there with those guys. Yeah, well, and like you said, then you, um, you know, did now when you went back when they sent you back to Regina, um, did they kind of give you any? Well, we want more out of you, like, do this, like, fight more or anything. Did they say anything to you, or was it just... Nothing, really, no. No? They just send you back and say, you know, thanks for coming. You had a great camp. 
we have a good year. We kind of uh, we'll keep in touch, kind of thing. So that, that was about it. But Les Jackson uh, was the GM, back, or no, director of player personnel, and uh, he was a he was a tough guy. He was a coach from Brandon Weekings back in the day, but he liked Western Western League players, and uh, he yeah he just really really nice to me and stuff. But just you know, good luck, have a good year, and we'll we'll keep in touch, kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Well, actually, I was going to say, one of the guys you got drafted with that year with Minnesota was uh, Enrico Ciccone. Yeah. So, with Minnesota, when I got drafted, so every summer they had a, a conditioning camp in, in Brandon, Manitoba. It was in July all the time, the hottest months of the year. Yep. It was for three weeks. And we did boxing. We did, uh, like, long-distance running, sprint work, plyometrics, and on the ice twice a day. And Andy Murray ran the camp. And uh, guys like Enrico Ciccone were there, Darren Hatcher were there. And it was quite the time because it was for conditioning and to show our skills. But at the same time, Enrico Ciccone was there to kill people. <laughs> and he was crazy. He was crazy. And uh, we got along really good. And because like, we're, all, we're all there in, in the hotel and staying together and stuff and doing our thing. But... Uh, there, that guy had a loose, he was a loose switch, I'll tell you. And, uh, he was Italian Canadian and intimidating, big, big, tough guy. He was one of those guys that honestly would spear you in the eye and wouldn't think twice about it. Yep. We had some players from the University of Manitoba come out and skate with us to kind of make the games. And I remember one guy went around him and made him look stupid. And Enrico actually went to the bench when he changed and he dove on the bench and just missed guy's face with a stick. And that time, Andy Murray said, listen, stop the garbage. This is stupid. This isn't NHL training camp. We're here to, you know, get, get in shape and stuff, so relax. But that's what Enrico was. And Darian Hatcher, he was there, and he was a young guy, first pick overall. And again, I was I was much older than him, but, you know, geez, this guy's like a big, tall, kind of lanky, you know, I don't know, it just didn't seem like he was all that special. But Jeezy turned out to be one of the best players in the NHL. <laughs> yep. So they knew what they were doing with him, I guess, eh? Yeah, yeah. You, you can't teach size, right? So, yeah. They, yeah, he's a big man. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, like you said, you go back, you had the big year, 50 goals, 13 tilts. Uh, we won't, uh, you know, we've been talking about Junior for a while, but I won't harp on it too much, but I do have to ask you because you fought him a couple times and he was a guest on my show, good dude out in Lloyd, if you need your tires go to Fountain Tire and Lloyd Minister, can't stand up for it they'll hook you up, you had a couple <laughs> battles with old Stanny, how did those go? Can't stand up for it was a, a player who did his job to a T in Lustra um, the guy was brought in to, to be their tough guy obviously and he, he took that role on very well and it was a tough thing for me because Sandy was a guy that, you know, I could have fought the guy, but Brad was, Brad Tippett wasn't really, didn't really want me to fight because I scored 50 goals. We were kind of an okay team. He didn't really want me in the box too much because yeah. that's not a good trade off. So it was frustrating for me because Sandy's trying to fight me all the time. I'm thinking, I don't want to fight you. There's no reason for me to fight you because you don't play much. You're, you're playing your role. I'm, I'm trying to score 50 goals for my team here. I'm, I'm being an offensive player for my team. It just didn't work out. And it was frustrating because, of course, people think, well, now 
Lord Malkin gets into it, he calls me yellow. <laughs> yellow in a, in, a, in a newspaper article interview. Yep. <laughs> and of course, Moose Jaw fans get a hold of that, and it becomes a big show. It was, it was actually kind of funny, actually, but that's what happened there. And Danny and I really never, we really got into too much. I think we fought once, maybe twice, and, but nothing really much. But yeah, I got to respect the guy, for sure. Well, you, the one game in Regina, March 3rd, you fought three times. You fought Barnstable twice and Staniforth once. Yeah. Yeah. Staniforth was the last fight, and yep. again, nothing really happened, but I don't know. I wish, you look back, you wish, I wish I would have done more and, and maybe just fought him more, but it is what it is, and that's, it was a tough call for me. I tell you, it was, I wrestled with that so much that year because I, I played lots. Like, I was a power player, I was a tally kill. You know, I was a big part of that team for the offense. And for a player to have to play that role too was kind of hard to do. I just because honestly, I got shift from the coach. I got penalties. Yeah, it wasn't what you know. You're in, you should, should be in the ice. Yeah, we were a younger team that year. So, but uh, no, of course, Danny was always in my face, and then Laura Malcolm played up too. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Good rivalry, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and of course that year you fought. Well, you fought Clayton Norris. There's another tough dude, Clayton Norris, a couple times. Uh, Mike Rourke, yep. here's another tough dude. Um, yep. um, Lalisher. And then you have your run-in. Well, no, that was the next year, but your first run-in with, uh, you know, the old Saskatoon D-man there, uh, Buchanan, who was a big yep. dude. And I know yep. you got you guys had a few battles. And, uh, well, that'll be... Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the next year, because there, uh, there was some shenanigans going on that I'm going to ask you about that uh, you got accused of. We'll... Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll get that. We'll get there. Um, one of the guys I want, a couple guys I want to talk to you about. Also, um, another get, former guest of the show, Elton Brandon, and uh, a couple guys, uh, Dan Kopeck. And there was a guy that uh, Stan, uh, Stanny talked about that went on and played in the Alberta League with him as a twenty-year-old was Glenn Webster. Do you remember these okay. guys, in Brandon? Glenn Webster, I don't. I recall Glenn Webster. But Dan Kobach, I do. Yeah. But not Glenn, no. Nope. Well, I just wondered, yeah, because there's uh, just throwing names out at you here. Like you said, it's, uh, you know. Yeah. We're, we're, and he played in Brandon Glenn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a couple, for a season and a half, and then uh, then went on to the Alberta League. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, tough dude. The one, the one guy I remember in Brandon my last year. Was the defenseman was a Gil Wychuk? Is that his name? Yeah. He um, the last game of the year, <clears throat> he cross checked me so hard in the arm, he broke my stinking tricep bone, and I numb, my arm went numb. I never went down, but I'll never forget that because it still caused me problems today. But he broke his stick over my arm. I hurt like hell. <laughs> Again, we didn't have much protection back then either. But uh, no, yeah. Yeah, Gil Wychuk. I'll never forget that guy for that. Well, yeah, well, then, yeah, that, that team, I mean, you know, they had, like, um, yeah, they had a tough team, man. Like you said, Kopech and Sandwith and Scattleberry, and, yeah, there was, uh, there was a few dudes back then, for sure. You know, yeah. you know the lesser of two evils. But, um, <laughs> um, well, so the following, so, yeah, you had the big year, 50 goals. Um, like, you obviously got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, when the yep. year when the year ended, what was the what was the what was the deal with Minnesota? What did they tell you? 
nothing. That's a weird thing. Nothing. Um, it was just, it was just strange. Like again, back to agents, I was trusting my agents to get something done, but there was no talks. There was absolutely nothing. And I, I was like, what? It was strange. Like, what do I do? What I do? What to think? I had the best year of my life. I felt great. Um, you know, people are always talking like, oh, you're going to make it. You're, you're an NHL type of forward. You're a big guy up and on the wing. You know, pretty fast, got a good shot and some toughness and nothing, zero. So then I go to training camp that uh, following year in Minnesota. I have a great camp. I was in great shape. That was one thing I did in my whole career. I was in great shape in my whole career. I took pride in that. I went to training camp. I was 210 pounds at 4.1% body fat. Just phenomenal shape and had a great camp. And uh, I guess when they started making cuts, I went to, I went to Kalamazoo. And uh, then right back to Regina. That was it. Yeah, like did they say anything to you? Like just, or just beat it? Was that about it? Just kind of, just kind of beat it. They don't talk to you too much. They they bring you in. They say they had a good camp, and they say things like that. But they, you know, we went. I don't know. I can't. I can't recall much anything to, to work on because they said they had a great camp, and the system worked out this time. And just keep working hard, and we'll we'll uh, we'll get back to kind of things. Seriously, that's, that's how it was. So, did you, you get know, into any? Pre, did you get into any preseason games at all? None, and uh, that that was frustrating because um, Andy Murray, who I met for three summers in those finishing camps, liked me a lot, and I was having a great camp, and then our first game was against San Jose, and I thought, I'm going to play, and I didn't get a chance, and Andy actually pulled me aside and said, geez, I'm sorry, you know, I was hoping to get a chance, and just keep working hard, and we'll see what happens next game. I never got a chance, never, never played an NHL game at all, so it was tough. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. Well, so your final year in junior, you come back, you're a 20-year-old, uh, another big year, 46 goals. Um, one, one of the, uh, I mean, unfortunately, the, uh, you know, you guys didn't make the, you know, rough season, didn't make the playoffs um, that year. But, I mean, you played, uh, one of the guys that you played with was a 17-year-old rookie who, of course, went on to have a big NHL career, was Jason Smith. You got any memories yep. of him? Yeah, you betcha. Yep. Smitty was a, a very quiet young kid back then. Um, again, not, he was young, not so much muscle, but just had a little a tough a edge to him, a little toughness to him, and very talented. And Smitty just uh, grinded away, and he was a very respectful young man. And uh, I had a chance to, you know, be obviously his captain and stuff. And I, I just. I don't know when you when you're an older player. I was like I was like Mark Jansen back then. I guess the old guy. And you just you bring these guys up, you bring them along, and you give them confidence, and you you just kind of you root for them, right? You say, hey, just keep going, man. You can do it. You did a great job. And he was one of those guys that I really enjoyed talking with and and showing him the ropes. And he he listened very well, and he became a phenomenal player. Obviously, had a great career in the NHL, and he was a good leader himself back in the day. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was a huge Jason Smith fan, and uh, yeah, it, um, well, so <laughs> now again, uh, going to all the Blades games back then, there was some interesting happenings with the Regina Pass that year, and uh, it not only included you, but a few other characters. But we'll get to your incident first. I know that it was a, a TSN game as well. 
and the video is up on my YouTube page, uh, where you fought Jeff Buchanan twice. Yeah. And I believe you got a match penalty in the game. Yeah. And uh, unbelievable. What did they say? Eye gouging. Eye gouging. Yes. That was. It was. That was probably the most frustrating thing in my hockey career because Jeff Buchanan myself. Again, we were losing, and I wanted to spark the team somehow. And uh, you know, Jeff was in the corner in the first fight, and, and it just kind of happened. The way we went, had a good fight the first fight. And then later on, I think in the third period, um, we had another scrap. He was kind of talking to me. So, well, let's go. Let's fight. Let's drop the gloves. So we did. And I had a really good scrap with him and pretty much beat him up. And at the end of the fight, we went down. The referee got between us. And I went to play box, and he, was, he sat down there, and then he went to his, his player's box. And all of a sudden, Hazard Fratz comes over and says, you're gone. You had a match. And I says, for what? I gouging. And all these years, all these years later, <laughs> I could not. I, I'll tell you right now that there's zero I gouging. You've watched the videotape, obviously. I don't see how I could have done it. And I think what happened was when the referee got between myself and Jeff, something must happen where the referee hand got in his eye or rubbed his eye or something, and it made a mark or whatever it was. But there's no I gouging. That's for sure. So it went to review with the Western League and. And from the video, you can't see nothing, but I guess they stood by the referee's uh, call, and I got, uh, I think, three games for that. Yep. That was pretty frustrating, I'll tell you. When you're innocent and you're guilty, <laughs> that's not a good feeling. I'll tell you, it's pretty frustrating. Well, I laughed because I think, I, I think our first interaction on Twitter ever, I think I asked you, I said, well, the statute of limitations is up. Did you really do it? But you were pretty out of it that you didn't. <laughs> yep. Not a chance, not a chance. Well, I said, a guy, Jeff Cannon, who... Again, a good competitor, a big, strong guy. I didn't consider him a heavyweight either, but he had a he had a pretty good pro career, and he became a that was his job of an enforcer, I guess. And yep. I would have never guessed that, but there you go. There's that's what happened there. So good for him. Yeah, well, it was always laughed because you look back on it, it's like, why would I eye gouge him? I just beat the shit out of him. I don't need to eye gouge him too. <laughs> exactly but, uh, right. Exactly. You know, but that was, that was a pretty good fight. Well, like you said, that season was full of stuff in the paper and everything else, and you guys had a guy show up named Mike Cresping. Oh, jeez. Yes. Yes, from Ontario, and he had the huge rep in Junior A. And actually, I have talked to people that played against him in Junior A out in Ontario, and they said it was legit. He was a bad dude out there. But he came to Regina with a lot of hype, and it was in the paper. Him and the golden Rhett, Rhett Tremblay, we're gonna meet yep. it. We're gonna meet at center ice, and we were gonna have the fight of the century. And yep. it, and it and it uh, obviously it, it was a bunch of nothing. But uh, yeah. what what were yeah. your what were your memories of Mike Cresping and and that whole deal? Well, you, as a player, you just kind of worry about yourself, what's going on with yourself. And I didn't hear anything about this guy coming in. All of a sudden, they come to practice, and there's this this big guy with no teeth, and they get a mohawk or something. I don't know what he had, but he was a pretty scary-looking guy, a beard, and who has this guy? And you know, he's Mike Chris Bain, and he's here, and he's a tough guy, and I guess uh, Brad Tibbetts felt we need a, a guy to take care of um, the red trouble, you said? Yep. No. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so whatever, it had nothing to do with me. Um, you know, if he's going to do the job, it's great, whatever, but he was a big guy that I think, like any player, honestly, I think he wants to play hockey. Because in practice, he 
he liked to score goals, and he really tried to, to be a player. But unfortunately, that wasn't his role. He was there to be a fighter, and that's it. And like you said, the game against Saskatoon, where they squared off, they dropped the gloves, and they just kind of shadow boxed for about five minutes, and nothing happened. So, I don't know. What do you say about that, right? He, he, he showed up, he dropped the mitts, but it wasn't that good of a scrap. And that was his end of his career, pretty much. Yeah, I know he only played the 20 games with you. I know he had a couple fights there. I think he jumped in the, he fought on the bench or something. I have more, there's a video up on my YouTube page. He gets Lethbridge, I think. He's trying to get Myers okay. to fight or something. But, uh, um, yeah, well, the Blades, of course, at that time had Rhett Tremblay and, and Mark Rader and, uh, and, uh, Buchanan. So, I mean, they were all, I remember the paper. Oh, yeah, they had tail of the tape and the pictures and the whole deal. And, you know, yeah. Great. Yeah, what a, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what a oh man! Like you said, di- different times back then. But um, well, so following that year, Kate, you're 20 years old. You're done in the Western Hockey League. Um, did you have sort of any uh, now at this point? What's your relationship with the Pats or with our uh, with Minnesota? Pardon me. So the season ends, and they offer me a contract. Um, There's talk of me getting called up to Kalamazoo like most players did back then. They had called to minor league team and they finished off the season with those guys. Never happened with me. Um, zero. That was it. So um, that summer, I believe, I um, ended up getting the offer from Minnesota. The, the, the small offer of 27500 and 135 in the NHL, and I, I took it. So I signed a two-year contract, two-way contract. I went to training camp. And I was there for, oh, I don't know, five, six days. Everything was going great. Loving it. And then I got sent down to Kalamazoo. And um, I was only there for a couple days. And they sent me down to Dayton, Dayton in the East Coast League. And the weird thing was, they sent myself and a couple of guys down to Dayton about, oh, five days before training camp even started. <laughs> so you start thinking, Hmm, okay, what's this all about? Like, that's weird. You know, I just signed a contract, and I went from NHL to IHL pretty quick, right to East Coast League, and training camp wasn't even started yet for five days. So you started thinking, wow, like, is this, doesn't look good, but I was, you know, first year pro, I was pretty happy, and training camp's half as long, and it's, it's, uh, we're in Dayton, and they bring this guy in, Darren Langdon. Yep. And, and, Again, he was a guy from Newfoundland, and I'm not sure where he came from or whatever. I think he had no contract. He was there on the East Coast League trial, I believe. And there's a few of us from Minnesota on, on um, contracts, so we had a little bit more respect because we had signed already. But there's guys like Darren Langdon and, and my roommate, Darren McPherson, an old Blade player. Yep. They were there on the East Coast League contracts. So they were pretty tough dudes. But again, I didn't think they were that tough, but they were playing hockey and having a good training camp. And I saw Darren fight a few times and it did pretty good. And one thing about Darren Langdon, playing with him that year, he was, again, another great, great teammate. That guy smiled every day. He had a great attitude. He just loved life and loved people and loved hockey. And uh, he liked to fight. <laughs> he liked to fight. Yeah. And he did good at it. He wasn't scared one bit. He'd fight anyone. And... Uh, he had a smile face the whole time doing it. So he's one of those guys that you have to respect, obviously. He was great at his job. Um, I think he had a lot of respect in the NHL, obviously, too, because of what he did. And that, that's uh, 
big time kudos to him. Just a great teammate. Yeah, well, like you said, yeah, four hundred twenty nine minutes of penalties that year. Uh, he was he was getting after it, but hey, same time he played fifty four games. He had twenty three goals. So I mean, it wasn't yeah. just uh, just some dummy out there. But uh, speaking, you had a hell of a year. Point a game, thirty one goals. Um, you know, you're obviously you know finding success in the East Coast League. What was it like playing for Claude Noel? Well, interesting story there. So I get sent down there, and the first probably oh ten games, maybe even more, I wasn't playing much. I was getting pretty frustrated. So I and Claude Noel, one of the best coaches I've had in my in my pro career, great guy. He would come in our dressing room every day, to cup of coffee. He'd shake everyone's hands. How you doing, guys? Good morning. What's going on? How you doing? He was just that kind of guy that made you feel really comfortable. And I remember wanted to wanted to go talk to him because I wanted to see, like, what can I do to play more? I went to his room. It was always open. He says, come see me anytime. It's Frank. You know, it's just that just the thing where you're a new guy. You're a first-year pro. Uh, we're just feeling you out. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. Doing a great job. But it wasn't what I wanted to hear. So, anyways, same thing. Not much ice time. I forget where we were, but one game we had like seven injuries. Seven injuries. Then I get my chance to play, and I bang, took off. And from that point on, I had a great year. Like you said, it was a fun year. Um, MVP of the team and fan favorite, all that kind of stuff. I was a runner-up for rookie of the year in the league that year, too. I forget who won it, but I was a runner-up. So it was just a great year. So I'm thinking, I've got to play for sure in Kalamazoo at the end of the year, right? Get called up. Guess what? Our season's over. He <laughs> played back to Regina. So I'm thinking, now what the heck? They had no plans for me, obviously, Minnesota. So that following summer, they didn't even keep in touch with me. And then in August, mid-August, just before training camp started, they loaned me out to uh, the Moncton Hawks, the American Hawk League, Winnipeg Jets farm team. So I was happy because I was playing their league up, but I was kind of going, well, that's too bad that... I didn't say it's Minnesota, but that's the business, right? So then I go to Moncton for a training camp. Robbie Laird, no Regina Pat player, was the coach. Good guy. And that year, myself, there's uh, Ross Wilson, a few other guys here from Minnesota there on a contract, Brian Straub, the Minnesota contracts. And you can kind of tell we got treated differently than the Winnipeg Jet players because obviously we were there alone. Winnipeg has more interest in their players, and that's just the way it was. And also that year, I forget the manager's name in Winnipeg, I think Mike Smith, he loved the Russians, and that team was full of Russians. Full of Russians. Like, the Winnipeg Jets were full of Russians, and we also had lots of Moncton, too. And it was an interesting year, but a great year. Uh, but uh, it was one of those years where I didn't get enough ice like I wanted to. Uh, my stats are pretty good. I think I I forget what I had, 10 goals, 11 points, 21 points, almost 200 minutes of bellies, but not much ice time. And after that year was over, there was no contract and no offer. So it was too bad. Well, you played with a, cu- a couple characters there in terms of the uh, – one was, uh, of course, Rob Murray, who played a long time yep. and uh, put up a lot of pins. But another guy who was a Stanley Cup champion and uh, sort of at the end of his – was Kevin McClellan. Yep. What was he like? I was, uh, <laughs> he was amazing. He was crazy. He was crazy. But just, I was very fortunate, like very fortunate he liked me. He liked me a lot where he kind of took me under his wing, which I was very thankful for because 
he played a lot of jokes on people that weren't very nice, and he made people's lives pretty tough. But Kevin liked me, and I like Kevin. And old Mac, I'll tell you, he had a ton of experience, obviously. He was at the end of his career. But uh, he would go on a road trip with one set of clothes, his old dirty suit jacket, old dress shirt, old pants, dress shoes with holes in it, and a toothbrush in his dress, in his dress jacket pocket. And that's what he had for the whole seven days. <laughs> he was just a crazy guy. Crazy guy. He used to love to bug the Russians. Oh, they were scared of him. He, they, they didn't know what to think of the guy. <laughs> He'd go in, in the shower, and we'd be like, you in the mirror getting ready to comb your hair or put deodorant on. And he would be in the shower, in front of the mirror with the Russians. They're combing their hair, putting gel in their hair. He'd spray some underarm deodorant under his arms. He'd look at the Russians, spray it in their face, and spray it in his mouth. And he'd, he'd kind of punch the guy in the arm and say, see you later. <laughs> and these guys didn't speak English. So they must have thought he was absolutely nuts. He was a funny guy. Charlie Bourgeois was our assistant coach. He's just a phenomenal guy. He played in the NHL too. Great guy. I remember one time Kevin grabbed his skates before practice and hacked him up on the pillar, the cement pillar. So Charlie fell down in practice, all practice, because his skates were all messed up. But that's the kind of stuff Mac, Mac did. He didn't give a crap. Funny guy. I remember one time I was going down, we were, we were the third line, we didn't give a choice time. I was going for a break. I had a breakaway, and he had the puck in the right wing. I was left wing. All I had to do is lay on my stick on a breakaway. He zings the puck, head height at me, like like a wrist shot. <laughs> I said, Mac, what are you doing? He's laughs. He goes, whatever. He says, you're not getting a breakaway. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy he was, funny guy. Yeah, well, they, uh, well, and of course, back then, 93, 94, I mean, the American League, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the toughness was unbelievable down there. They, yeah. Um, and I know you had a couple run-ins um, with a few legendary names. One being Frank Bialoas, and uh, and the yeah. other and the other was Dennis Bonvey. Yeah, yeah. Frank Bialoas played for St. John's Leafs, and that was our first game there. And uh, again, I didn't know much about him. He was still trying to make a name for himself, and so was I. And we just got into a little tussle the first game, and and. Uh, Nothing very much happened. We dropped the gloves, we threw a couple, and we kind of got tied up, and that was it. But again, like you said, legendary. He ended up going to having a great career, a long career, and he had some big fights, obviously. And same with Dennis Bobby. Dennis Bobby was, I believe, I'm not even sure if he had a HL contract in Cape Breton. I think he had a HL contract. And he was just a guy trying to make a name for himself, defenseman. Those, he was kind of a talk to your guy and uh, you know whatever he's the guy that was in front of that we were fighting for the puck and he gave me a shot I gave him a shot back and you know dropped the mitts but again you don't think about the time but that guy had a great career he ended up fighting a, a lot of players in the, in the end and played in the NHL for quite a while so yeah some, some pretty big guys there yeah and like I said just going through that Atlantic division where you guys were I mean yet you, you know like I said St. John's with Ken McRae and Gillingham and Ryan Vandenbush and by Lois and then the Flames with Kushner and Nick Luck and Kate Breton with Bonvi and of course they have Link Gates how's this for a lineup Bonvi Serge Roberge and Link Gates yep like come yep. I know come on you know like you had to hear war drums beat when you guys showed up like like I said like those days 
more than junior, obviously, you you didn't sleep too well before a game. Because, honestly, God, like, there's myself, Kevin McCall, there's Wayne Doucette, Rob Murray. We we kind of had to kind of take care of that part of the business. But it was it was pretty pretty tough to, to try and relax going to those rinks because they had some really wicked tough guys, all those teams. And uh, you know that you're for a game, right? And I remember, well, there's times where you wouldn't, you wouldn't even get a shift. You said the best the whole game. And then it's like two minutes left, you get a tap on the shoulder, go get in a fight. Well, that's just the way it was. But that wasn't much fun, in my opinion. But uh, that was part of the job. Yeah, like at that point, um, like I, know I was going to ask you, because, of course, this year in Moncton, you're in the American League, you have, you have actually 18 fights. And you're starting to kind of, like at that point, it's starting to kind of turn, like, were you at that point where it was like, did you make a conscious decision to start fighting more? Like, kind of almost accept, like, okay, if I'm going to play pro, this is what I'm going to have to do? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I did subconsciously. I think I just started saying, well, I have to start playing this role more because that's my chance to, to make the NHL. But at the same time, um, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I did it. But I wasn't, I think I was still wasn't what they wanted me to be. They wanted me to be the heavyweight where you know, a guy like Lyle Oberlein, when he played the American League, he fought every game, right? Yeah. Those guys, I did that. I, I didn't do that. I still wasn't good enough, obviously. So it is what it is. That's what happened. I still like to play hockey. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be, I wanted, my, my hero growing up was Wendell Clark. The one of Clark was a true power forward. The guy hit, he fought when he had to, but he scored. And that's the kind of guy I wanted to be, or like Cam Neely, right? Yep. And I didn't, I didn't want to be just labeled a, a tough guy. But uh, so that, that was my problem. Probably it just wasn't in me. Well, it's almost like you're like you know you're sort of stuck in that, it, just on that in that kind of that no man's land, right? Like you want to, yep. you know, you get kind of torn both ways, but. Uh, well, I guess what's the trying to find identity, your hockey identity, sort of at that point. Yeah, I thought I had it. Like my last year, last two years of junior, I thought, okay, I, I can show, I can score, and that was that was important to me that I could put the numbers up, but also play a game that was tough. Yeah, I, I thought in my mind, an NHL team would like a player like that because you got a big winger that can drive the net, get in front, take no guff chipping the odd goal, and sometimes fight. Like, what? Would, why would you want that? But for whatever reason, I just didn't, uh, my team didn't want me for that reason, and that was it. So, and, yeah. uh, from there, yeah. Yeah, I know, it was just so strange. Because like I said, obviously, like it was, you know, being in SAS too, I mean, we saw you play all the time. And I mean, we yeah. went to all the games, and we said the same thing. Like, because, I mean, I'm, just, I'm not just blowing smoke because you're on the phone, but I mean, Yep. We were like huge fans of yours, right? And it's like, well, yeah. And then, and it's like, again, I don't want to harp on it, but I mean, we're looking over at Scott Sisson's and we're like, you know, what the fuck's going on? You know, like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and like, he's getting all the shot. And like, a guy like you is like, you know, it's just like, or, I don't know. It was just, like you said, I don't know. It's just, well, you watch, you watch junior hockey. There's lots of players that made the NHL that I played against. Uh, Tyler Wright, another guy. Yep. Tyler Wright played in the NHL for quite a while. And, in my opinion, like, really, like, what did he do? Like, if you want to start comparing stats, like, my stats compared to these guys, well, I, well, I'm not sure why I didn't make it, but I didn't. 
So they did. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's one of those things, right? Like, I mean, like yep. I said, we, we never got it either because we were like, what is going on? But... Like I'm like, who does this guy? Who does this guy have heat with? Like, come on, you know, like yeah. something's got to be going yeah. on. But yeah, yeah. but you know, because I'm like from a fan's point of view, from the outside looking in, we're just like, you know, was this guy got issues or like what's the problem? Like it was just, yeah. But like you said, it's just one of those things, right? Through the cracks, and, yeah. You know, through hockey's filter system, and there you go. But um, yeah. well, so after this season, I mean, well, before we leave, I have to ask you about this one because it sort of became, well, it became the basis of a movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of Bialois, you had a guy show up in Moncton one night named Doug Smith. Yeah. And uh, he was brought in for the sole purpose to fight Frank Bialois. Did you just look at this guy like, what is your, like, what are you, are you serious? Like, what were you guys thinking when this guy strolls in and says, I'm fighting by Lois tonight? Darren, honestly, it was the weirdest thing in my career. Yes. Especially from being, we're in the American Hockey League. Yeah. The Winnipeg Jets farm team playing an amazing league. And all of a sudden, like, and Robbie Laird, who I respected so much, we, no one had a clue what the hell was going on. This guy shows up in a dressing room going, I'm going to fight Frank by Lois. And we're like, he was from Boston, I believe, wasn't he? Yep. And he had his accent and stuff, and he wasn't a hockey player. No, like he was nothing. He was he was like a senior hockey player, and and all of a sudden he's in the, he's in the lineup. We're like, what the hell? And then he gets his ass kicked, obviously. But it was the weirdest thing that even happened. I can't believe that, like especially players like all of us who were there, worked their asses off to be there to get to that point, and this guy gets a chance to play in the American League. Because of that situation, it just didn't make much sense that that happened, but it did, and uh, he made a name for himself, I guess. So it was weird. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, well, he's just a gold gloves boxer from that showed up and played sporadically a few games of pro and learned to skate when he was twenty, and yeah, all of a sudden now he's fighting via Lois. Have you ever read his book? No, I haven't. Oh, it's tremendous. You got to get it. Yeah, if you can get a oh, really? try to, if you can get the copy of the book, Goon. Definitely do it. It's good. He's a good guy. He's a cop in Boston. Doug's a nice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, nice but, yeah. but like, what a story. But it was just like I had forgotten completely. And I was scrolling through the rosters, and all of a sudden I see Doug Smith one game five minutes. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Frank was there that year. I was going to ask yeah. you though, like at some point you you got to be kind of like a little disrespected. Like I mean, you fought by Lois twice that year, and you're like, you know, you got to bring in this goof to fight him, like. Really? Well, that's just that too. Like we were wondering, like why do that? You're right, disrespect to it for sure. Felt kind of bad, um, but it didn't work out for what, for what they planned. He got his ass handed to him. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was a tough year too. Um, another guy they brought in, which was interesting, was remember Dan Bilsma? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he ended up. So we were we had some injuries, and they called him up from Greensboro, and he's closely. And Dan, Dan was just a, a marker grinder, not a very good skater. But what Dan did, the time he had called up, he blocked shots. Like, he blocked shots. And Robbie Laird absolutely loved him for that. And he kept him up the rest of the year. And Dan pretty much took my job and ended up playing the playoffs. And we had to call the finals that year. Yep. And Dan played right to the finals. And then Rob went to L.A. the following year in the minors and Rob 
ended up bringing Dan with him to L.A. in the minors and ended up uh, playing in L.A. too, in Anaheim. So, yeah, that's how it works. If the right place, right time, you do the right thing for certain peoples and they like you, and away you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the season ends. Now, uh, I have to ask you, and because uh, you went and played in the RHI in the Roller yeah. Hockey League. Uh, so you played for the Sacramento River Rats. Tell me, how did that all happen, and what... What are your feelings on the RA? I thought that was awesome. I loved the RHI. That was great. What was your what was your whole deal with the RHI? Well, again, back to agents. So a guy from Regina named Gary Saigo, he uh, was the manager of Acme Videos. But he had this agent business on the side, and he had a lot of Western Hockey players from Regina and around the area as clients. And he had a connection in the RHI. He had a connection with Sacramento. And uh, he met with me. I said, yeah, Gary, I'll sign with you, no problem. And he had some connections in Europe, too. And he goes, Frank, yourself, and there's like seven other guys from West League that went down there to play to trials for this team. And I have never, ever skated on roller skates before in my life. First time ever was down there. So we fly down there, and we find out the coach. The coaches were, it was weird. They weren't even hockey guys. I forget the, the guy's name. His name was John, I think, the head coach. John Black. Monty. John Black. Yeah, John Black. Some some American guy who never coached hockey. And then Monty was his friend. Yeah. I think Monty, I forget well, his last name, but Schultz. I think his dad or something was Walt Disney or something or something. Monty Schultz. Yeah, so he had a connection with Walt Disney. Is that correct? I have no so, idea. <laughs> yeah. Or Charlie Brown or something. Seriously. Like, oh, yeah, that, okay, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, Schultz, last yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that, that was his son. Anyway, he, he was a whack job. He was nuts. And so was John Black. But John Black, in his mind, the Russian hockey was the best hockey in the world. So same thing as Winnipeg. We had a ton of Russians on our team. Yeah, he did. And the first uh, part of the year, I didn't play much because he, he didn't play the American, the King guys much. But then I got the hang of the game. And I started lighting her up. It was, a, it was a ton of fun. We had treated like kings there. We're in California. Every day the sun shining. Never cloud in the sky. We had free living. We got paid 135 bucks a game. We shared a car. And we just had a great time together. We flew to all the big cities. We flew everywhere. Flew the day before, played the game. It was like we're in the NHL. We got treated so, so well. A lot of fun. I'm glad I, I'm glad I did that. That was, a good, that was a, a good part of my career. Really good time. Well, hey, there you go. At, uh, yeah, beach shoveling dirt for the summer. Yeah, for sure. Good exactly. Su- good summer job. Well, so at this point, uh, so the seat, like, did you have any, like, were you sort of done with North American hockey at this point, like, fed up? Because I know this is the year you went to Germany, 94, 95. Um, what yeah, happened? I was waiting wait that summer. I finished my contract with Minnesota. And I was waiting for offers, obviously, hoping to get a contract somewhere. But all I got was trouts and uh, trout contracts in the American League and nothing in NHL, zero. So I said, well, I was still waiting. And then this guy from Montreal, Terry Pye, his name was, he calls me up and he goes, do you want to go to Germany? And I said, well, okay, what's what's the deal? He goes, well, the team's all rapping again, and they're in the DEL. So I remember DEL, that was the NHL, it was good over there. 
and uh, there'll be yourself and Mark Basson who played in Brandon. They liked both both you guys to play in that team. And the money wasn't that great, but it was better than a trial contract. And I was I knew very very well then, once I signed that contract, my ties to North American hockey was done. I said, well, I said, well, things really didn't work out too well the first two years for myself in the minors, so I signed the contract, and I said, okay, let's go try Germany. Well, sure enough, we get there. You find out more, obviously, once you get there. The team I signed with, myself and Mark signed with, was a team that just got relegated to DEL for the first league. They just made it. So they were a bottom team, and in all honesty, they had no right being in that league. Uh, the first like seven games, we got killed like 10 nothing, 9-1, 7-2. And myself and Mark were doing as best we could for what we had. But that team had money problems, and it was just a gong show. Um, after seven games, I think they tried to just release me. And I said, listen, I got a contract here. You can't do that. So they hummed and hawed. They sent me down to the first league in a city called Brown Laga. And they made a deal those two teams where Brown Laga would pay half my salary and then Rasing would pay half my salary. Well, it ended up the whole year. Both teams had money problems. I ended up making 15000 bucks a year and didn't get paid nothing else. It was a tough year. Um, a learning experience, let me tell you. It was, it was good, but bad. Well, you all, and then, uh, so you come back again, you go and play in the roller hockey league. This time you're in Denver, um, with the Denver Daredevils. Yeah. Um, and of course the coach was Shevel Dayoff. Yep. Yeah. What he's played against. Yeah. So I'll back, I'll back you up in Germany. I'll tell you a funny story about Germany. So Here. I, I was playing in that Brown Lager team and then they ended up releasing me from there. And then, uh, I talked to my agent, so I had to go back to my first team in the DL. So I went back there. I was living with Mark Basson for about a month and a half. It was getting towards the end of the year. And Bill Lockhead was the coach, Lockheed. I used to play in the NHL in Detroit. He uh, didn't play me. I'm not sure why. But I was under contract there. Practice, practice, practice. I was getting a little frustrated. And then one game he, in uh, in Berlin, he let me, he let me go for warm-up. I said, well, okay. And I was wired. I was wired. Like, I was pissed off, and I was wired. And I remember going around. We used to skate around together, the teams. Not in both ends. Like, both teams skate around together, which is weird. And I was out there hacking guys. Hacking guys. And they weren't that tough, obviously, right? And just punching guys and, and trying to intimidate them. And in warm-up, I stood right in the middle of their pucks for their breakouts. And the team just went to the side of the bench and they would do breakouts. <laughs> I was just pissed off and wired, but that's. And then after the warm up, I I didn't play. <laughs> that was it. It's was, it was so frustrating that year. I was, I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, not a good year. But yeah, back to roller hockey. I signed in Denver. Kevin Shevardev calls me up. Says Frank, I'm going to coach the Denver Daredevils. Do you want to play with me? I said absolutely. That'd be great. And he had a good a good squad there on paper. But for whatever reason, we didn't do that well. It was frustrating. I felt bad because Kevin's such a great guy. And uh, actually, I knew Kevin from, uh, I'm trying to think now. Did I go to Salt Lake City after Denver or before? Um, I think after. I think it, after. It, it, was a, it was after. No, it right. was before. So, no, it was before. 
Yeah, because you were. It was before eh? It was ninety five, ninety six. Was that year you played on those four teams? Okay, so I, I met Kevin because Kevin's assistant coach in Utah with uh, Butch Goring. Yeah, and uh, so I knew Kevin from obviously junior hockey, and from there, he's such a great guy. And of course, when he calls me up, he's an absolute play for you. That'd be great. But it didn't work out for all of us. We didn't have a good year, and I felt bad because that was a nice place to play hockey. Lots of fun, beautiful city. Got treated very well, but we didn't uh, didn't win the league, so it was too bad. But the, but the RHI, I can remember watching some of those. Uh, I remember they had some of the games on TSN, or was it TSN or ESPN two or ESPN? I remember, I, ESPN. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing like a, there was a few tilts in that league too. I remember that. Um, yeah, yeah. You put up a few pims actually. Um, yeah. It was just it was it was like playing pro like you're playing pro pretty much on yeah. rollerblades. And most of the players there were all in the American Hockey League. Like a lot of, a lot of tough guys were there. Yes. Uh, what was his name? Da- is it Daniel Shank? Yep. He played for San Jose. He was a, a pretty good player and tough. And yeah, so it was a handful of good guys, really good players. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cal McGowan played. And, uh, yeah. Snezar, Gulash, uh, Kevin Kerr, Brent Thurston, Gillingham, Norm Dezane. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. yeah. They. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny after the games, like we go to a you know a bar or something after you see the other team. It's like you're playing American League, like all the all the same guys. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was, it was fun because we were kind of relaxed a bit more than playing you know pro hockey, but at the same time we were still playing pretty hard. But after the games, we we all have a good laugh about it. No, absolutely. Well, the following year, ninety five, ninety six, you were everywhere. Um, you played on four teams, and uh, yeah. like you said, you started off in Utah. Um, Butch Goring's the coach, and uh, and and in the IHL. Man, I miss the IHL. What a great league! Great league, yeah, I agree with you. Great league, a lot of fun, a lot of great cities, that's for sure. Well, you're flying everywhere, and uh, but and uh, well, one of the guys I wanted to ask you about again. I've had him on the show, and we had talked off air. But um, about him was and, and a good guy is uh, and hopefully he listens to this uh, was Mike McWilliam. Mike was a he's, he's a great man, obviously. You know him and, and uh, what a player! Like there's a guy who's got the size, tough as nails. Yep. He, uh, I think he liked fighting. I'm not sure if he did. I think he had some injuries with his hands, but just a competitor and a hell of a player. He. Um, yeah, a lot of respect for that guy. I love it for sure. Um, he, I got a chance to play against him in Cardiff, and he his presence on the ice was huge. Like he made his team easily hundred percent better just because they had the confidence to go out there and play hard. Because Mike would go out there and take care of business if he had to, and he did his, he did his job to a T. So yeah, really good guy. Well, I know in, in one of your fights, um, you fought a legendary guy, and unfortunately who passed away a couple years ago, was old, uh, the pit bull, Sasha Lakovic, who was playing for Las yeah. Vegas at the time. Do you remember how that fight went? I think not. he was running around, and yeah. uh, again, I was I was trying to make, make a name for myself, and obviously I was on a trial contract, and I can't recall too, too much, but yeah, we just kind of dropped myths and kind of went out I can't really recall too much to be honest, but Sasha Lakovic was a great, you know, obviously a great tough guy. But 
he he was uh how you say it not like a goon, but he he did crazy things. Like for example, he go like I remember one thing I saw on TV. He went in the stands or something. He went over the top of the glass or something. Like he yeah, does those kind of things, right? Just very very un- like out of control sometimes. That he was, was Lakovic. He was a showman for sure. Yeah, he uh, yeah big time. Yeah, he's a character. Um, well, and then of course uh, from from Utah, um, you end up actually back in the American Hockey League with the St. John Flames. Um, well, yeah, like Butch, Butch Goring, I'll tell you what, right now, like, I'm so thankful I had a chance to play for him for those handful of games. I had such a good training camp there. It was interesting because things were going so well. I felt so good. And I had no contract, and Butch liked me. I can tell you he liked me a lot. He kept me off quite a bit with no contract. And even the newspaper reporters thought that I, was, I got sent down from the NHL. They do the report after the game. They say, "Oh, and Frank Kovacs, recently sent down for the NHL near Colors." I was playing pretty hockey in that camp, but Robert Dome, you remember that name at all? I do. Robert Dome was a young kid who they thought was going to be a potential first rounder. For whatever reason, Salt Lake City had to sign him to a contract, and this kid comes in. I remember during training camp, fat, pudgy check like out of shape like we're doing lines and stuff he could barely do it and this guy was supposed to be a future first round pick and future NHL star so Butch calls me one day and says Frank I'd love to have you I want to have you but there's no room for you here there's no contract for you we're going to sign Robert and unfortunately not working out for you but he goes I want to help you out you should play pro hockey for sure go to St. John the Flames Paul Baxter will take you there for sure. And that's how, Paul, that's how I went to St. John. So I fly to St. John. I get there at 2 o'clock in the morning, late flight, flight. We're playing Cape Breton next day in St. John. And I practice that morning, get a pregame nap. We're a young team there. Like I was 23, I believe. And I was like the second oldest guy there. I was like a young team. A lot of young kids. David Lang, they're like 20 years old, 21 years old. And uh, things weren't going too well. We're down a couple of goals. I remember, um, what was his name now? Greg DeVries. Defenseman. Greg DeVries. There you go. I said, well, I'm going to try and you know, start something with the team here and get a fight going. So I hit Greg DeVries. We dropped the mitts. And then I'll be honest with you, it was one of those fights where like, we, we, we counted. I felt like, oh, I felt strong. I felt like I killed this guy. It was going really good. And I nailed him in the helmet. And my middle finger buckled from my middle knuckle to my fingertip, twisted sideways and always 90 degree angle to the, re- to the right. Just twisted on his helmet somehow. I couldn't make a fist. And that was the end of the fight. I pulled him down and I looked at my hands like, what the hell? And I was on a 25 game trial. That was my first game in St. John. So that was it. I went to the hospital. They put it back in place and I was doing rehab for a month or so. And then I finished off the rest of my games with a broken hand. And things were going okay, but not the best, obviously. Montreal makes a trade with Calgary. Calgary gets, or much, sorry, yeah, Calgary gets two more guys or something. Again, no room for me. I get shipped off to, uh, to Louisville, East Tulsa. But the thing was, I should have went to Florida, uh, Florida that year because, I forget the name of the coach, but they won the championship here in Florida, Tallahassee. 
by Brian Blatt, my buddy who I play with in Dayton, Ohio, Bombers. He called me up and said, Frank, I'm in Louisville. Come here. It's a great team. We'll take care of you. Then I went to Louisville, Kentucky for the River Frogs. Yep. But I should have went to Tallahassee because they won the league. They had a great year. And it's a nice city, obviously. <laughs> but that's the way she goes. I made a bad decision there. Yeah, well, and like you said, yeah, you you put up the uh, what uh, the last little run there in Louisville. I mean, you know, thirty six points in twenty nine games and one hundred and fifty minutes, and you know, yep. and uh, but I mean, I mean, and the East Coast League again. I mean, you talk about toughness down there. I mean, you know, you had to roll into a few barns. What was it like going into Toledo and Wheeling? Oh, crazy Toledo, Ohio. The the boards are so high. Again, like you said, they had some tough players there. Uh, the fans are crazy. It was like a steel town, a tough town, blue collar town. It was, uh, it was interesting. But like you said, that's just the way it was back then. Yep. You knew it was that way and you just, you didn't think anything twice about it. Um, you had to either, you know, put up or shut up or that's it. And, and all the players in the same boat, we uh, had to play. We're playing for our lives every day, playing for that pro contract, playing for the next chance to hopefully go to the NHL training camp or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so. I don't know. That's the way it was, and uh, I'm glad I went through that era because it was fun. It was good, and uh, I met a lot of great guys through the years of hockey. That's for sure. Hey, did you get to go play in the War Memorial in Johnstown? I did. I did. That was my first game in uh, pro hockey, and I scored two goals there. There you go. The Johnstown Chiefs. There you go. That was that was that was an amazing, amazing experience. Of course, because slap shot movie slap shot. And here I am. I'm playing in this bloody rink. Yeah. First game pro. I scored two goals. It was a great, great thing. So much fun. Well, I mean, uh, I know we, we've been going pretty long here, and I, I'm taking up a lot of your time. But uh, we're just kind of, uh, I don't want to say we're wrapping it up, but I have to, obviously, we got to get into, um, and I have lots of uh, UK listeners, and uh, I will say, every time I have a guy that's played on over in the UK, man, the amount of downloads those episodes get. Those UK fans are diehards over there, man. I'm telling you, and they're. Uh, yeah. I, I was already told a few of them that I was going to have you on, and uh, they're all pumped to. Li- they're uh, they still remember you in Sheffield. Um, yep. How how did you get over there? And what did you think? Because you played in three years in Sheffield in the in the British Super League at that time. Um, what were your? Well, here, what are your thoughts of the UK? Absolutely amazing. Um, again, I had no idea what to expect. Zero. Gary Seigel, my agent, I, he was a great guy. He had some good contacts. He got me a job in Sheffield. Um, Alex Dampier was our coach, who I, I love. One of the greatest guys in the game of hockey. Um, he had a great thing going there in Sheffield. The fans were absolutely amazing. Phenomenal. That was the NHL of Europe in, in England. And our team was feel like gold. We were in the paper every day, the, the news every day on TV, on the radio every day. We were pretty much stars in that city. Um, I walked into a team that just won the, the Grand Stanley Call. They won three trophies in a year, a previous year. So a lot of high expectations, a lot of positive energy from the, from the previous year of winning championships. And the fans loved us and just cheered us on in every way. So I get there. Like I told you, we were in the news every day. Bob Westerdale, who is the reporter for the team, a great guy, gets a hold of me, and he finds out that he goes, I'm a tough guy, and I'm a Christian. So he, he makes this big story up in the paper, 
And uh, from there on, I just played my game, played it hard, played it honest, got a few scraps, and the fans love those kind of players over there. They really respect you a lot. Yep. And from there, it just worked out very well. We had a great year. We won the league final that year. I ended up scoring the winning goal. And uh, I played some really good players in that team. Ken Priestley, Jamie Leach, Glenn Mulvana, Jason Lafreniere. They got a lot of hell of good players there. So uh, good time, good memories. Um, probably in all my pro career, for sure one of my favorite places to play. Well, what uh, a couple of uh, a name I have to ask you about because it's uh, especially over in the UK it was legendary. And I know I've read art. I was reading an article that, of course, oh the Scottish Gretzky. Um, what was Tony Hand yeah. like? Tony Hand was uh, again amazing, amazing skill. He was the Scottish Wayne Gretzky over there. Yeah, the guy can put up some crazy numbers. Yep, but uh, just a fun guy to be around. Um, Scottish. Uh, did his own thing, did his own business. He came to play, and you have to respect him so much. I don't care where he came from. This guy was legendary. Yep. And he was a humble guy, a quiet guy, a good team player, and everyone respected him a lot. And, uh, yeah, so good. Him and uh, Ken Priestley were online together, and they played very well together. So, no, he was a, a good, I'm glad I got to play at 20 because, again, like you said, he's a legend in that country. And I had a chance to play with him. Well, another guy I wanted to ask you about, an old dub boy. And I mean, actually, you had a run in with him the, a couple years later, was uh, Corey Bolio. Yeah. Big, big Corey. He, um, he got over there. And, uh, Corey was tough, tough player. Um, oh, I tell you, there's a guy who could open ice hit. Yep. It's it, unbelievable. Like, he had some huge hits in Sheffield with us. And, and he was, instrumental in us winning the championship as well because people were scared of him. He had a he put the fear into people because of how he played the game. He played it hard. Um, he, he played it tough. Again, his opening hits. He put people he put people out. He he you know he, put, he he made you play honest. That's for sure. And again, a good guy, great teammate. He always gave his best for all of us. And uh, that was whenever you play in a championship team, you look back and honestly, you can always like you were talking before, good guys. They were all good guys. Like everyone had a part to play, ever except for their role, and that's just the way it was. And in the end, we won, and we all got along so good. And Alex Dampier, like he admits himself, I was he's I'm not the best coach, Frank, but Alex Dampier knew how to pick good people. And all those years there, when I was with Alex, he picked really good people, and uh, it, was a, it was a great place to be. Now, in, in terms of just uh, when you're out there uh, playing, were you surprised? At the uh, like your first, going back to your first year, were you surprised at how good the league was? Well, that was the first year of the Super League. We called it, it was a yep. Super League, and the year before that, I forget what it was called, but that was a Super League. So that year, they brought a bunch more of North Americans, like pro players, over, and I was surprised. Like there was a lot of ex NHL players in that league in every team, and uh, the toughest was there. The uh, the skill was there. It was a really well-run league, and uh, I was happy to be a part of it. It was great to be a part of that league. We had, like, I think Jamie Leach and Ken Priestley had Stanley Cup rings. Like, there's, those are the kind of players that are in that league. They were Stanley Cup players. So, no, it was, it was, um, it was interesting, I'll tell you, but too bad it didn't last that long there. I guess my last year there, it started going downhill with money and stuff. 
and uh, then it just kind of faded away a bit. But it's still pretty good, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're you know it's uh, kind of rolling now, but at the time, um, you know, we're not going to ask you to do your taxes on the air or anything. But in terms of yeah. like money wise, like what would it be comparable at that time, like North American wise, kind of like East Coast money or American hockey money? American hockey, yeah, okay. they paid. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it yeah. was. Yeah, and then uh, and then obviously then they covered everything. Obviously, living and everything. Well, yeah, like I, my, again, I got a house to myself, like a whole house to myself, and a car. And the yep. cars there weren't just cars. Like, they, if you're one of the better players or one of the fan favorites, they, the sponsors took care of you. So my car was plastic with your name everywhere and the Steelers logo and, <laughs> you know, their sponsorship. It was really pretty fancy. It made you feel pretty important, I'll tell you, that's for sure. Well, that's excellent. Well, and you're, uh, well, and I mean, like you said, when we were talking before, he brought his name up. Of course, the next year you got to play, Scott Allison was over there with you. And another guy yep. that uh, I wanted to ask you about, and he played forever over there and is a legend over there and a tough dude, uh, Mike Ware. Oh, there's, Mikey Ware was, like you said, he is a legend over there and he yep. was one tough dude. So my first year there, of course, uh, this is the way hockey is. You always hear about the tough guys in the league and, Everyone tells stories about what they do, and I heard some stories about Mike Ware when I first got there. And he was legit. Like, the guy was a big, strong, scary guy who seemed to enjoy fighting. He enjoyed going crazy and, 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 and punch people out. And he played in Cardiff, and Cardiff had a tough team as well. And, uh, and fortunately, we beat those guys in the playoffs to uh, go against Nottingham in the finals. But that was a big upset. And Mike Ware honestly made people play very honest because if you did anything stupid out there, you'd have to answer Mike Ware. And fortunately, the next year, he came to Sheffield and played in Sheffield with me. And uh, just a great teammate, a very big heart, very giving guy. And uh, I'm glad I played play with him and against him. He's a, a very good competitor, good guy. Well, there you go. Well, in the last, so ninety eight, ninety nine is your your last season in Sheffield. I know here on the on the hockey DB they uh, they just have you listed as uh, playing twelve games. Um, what happened there? Did you get hurt, or was it? Uh... Yeah, my knee. My, I hurt my knee in the summertime training, and then I went to training camp. And I thought I, I thought it would get better, and it wasn't getting better. So it got to a point where I had to have an operation, and I was supposed to pretty much have the year over with, but. Again, like you're a hockey player, so you, you rush back as soon as you can. And I came back uh, for the playoffs and finished off the year with Sheffield. And then that uh, following year, they didn't resign me. And Manchester wasn't signed me. And at the same time, a uh, guy from Hungary gave me a call in the summertime and said, Do you mind playing hockey in Hungary? And I said, I didn't even know there was hockey in Hungary. But he, he sold on me, and he says it's, it's uh, a league. They're in the Austrian league which is a good hockey league. We're trying to get better. We want you to be a part of our team and kind of show us how to be professional because he says we're a good hockey team, but we don't have the professionalism. So I took the opportunity. I signed my contract there. And my knee was still hurting. It wasn't 100%. I went there, and, I, and, and they, trained the, they trained the crap out of you. Like tons of running, tons of jumping, uh, twice on the ice a day. Like it was like lots of overtraining. And my knees are getting sore and sore. And then one game, it popped a bit. And I was uh, I was kind of forced to have an operation. Actually, no, sorry. I was I played the whole year hurt, taking pills, trying to get through it. 
I did that year in Hungary, I had two of the operation on my knee again. And uh, from that point on, I, I finished off two more years there, or three more years there, and that was it. I uh, played some senior hockey, and, and I called it a day. Well, how, overall, like, how was your experience in the four years in Hungary? Did you enjoy it? Well, obviously, you went four times. Like, Yeah, I loved it. Honestly, it was, that country is a very poor country. Um, not much money there, but the people there are phenomenal. And the teammates, I love them to death. Um, There's a lot of Hungarian players there that, honestly, were making 200 bucks a month my first year there. They work in part-time jobs, and they're playing pro hockey. They're playing in the Austrian League against, like, NHL players. And uh, it was very unfair, but that's just the way it was. And they were just happy to play hockey. And and this, we got along so well, we're like a big family. And my dad's Hungarian. He came over to Canada in 56 during the revolution. And because of that, they could get my passport. So I got a Hungarian passport. And because of that, I got to play the national team for two years, which was a great experience. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of good things happened to me over there. Um, it was, it was more good than bad. There was some money issues there at times, but for the most part, they treated me really good. Um, they weren't happy with my knee operation. They felt they shouldn't pay me during that time. So that kind of stuff wasn't professional that way. But at the same time, um, my first year there, they, they were so good, these guys. The players were so good, so talented. But they would do stuff, for example, before game, they'd be on their cell phones. Or the dress room, all their equipment was on the floor. Like the small things, they had no clue about being pro. They had no washing machines in the dress rooms. So they had the laundry up on the, the pipes in the dress room. So the dress rooms stunk to high heaven. Just small things of like that, they had no clue about. So I came in and taught those small things how to be professional that way. And uh, they got a good Slovakian coach there, Jan Yashko. He brought his expertise in, and we won a lot of championships there in those four years. So, great experience. Well, you were like really, uh, you know, that you're like a real trailblazer. By the sounds of it, I mean, to go in there, and I, I mean, with your experience and, and everything, and, uh, you know, really lay the groundwork for them. Because like you said, they didn't yeah. know, right? So, Nope. And it's funny, the first day, because I went there on my day off, and I, I did I clean the room up. I put all their equipment up on their on their benches in their stall, and I put name tags up. I cut off coat hangers and put mid hangers for their skates, just like a pro room. Did that my day off, and then the day they came back, it's it's like you know people don't only change. All this stuff went right back on the floor. <laughs> I said, guys, this you can't do this. We have to try and keep this room clean because then you have respect for yourselves and for the team and for the room and all kind of stuff. So. Slowly but surely it changed. And with the new coach that we got in there, he backed me up, and then we got a wash machine, and slowly but surely it changed. And uh, actually, they played in Pool A a couple times, I believe. That's how good they are. They got to Pool A, where they play against all the big countries like Russia and Canada. Yeah. So I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that country. Bunch of great people there. Well, that's well, that's, well like you said, that's a, that's a hell of a legacy to have, right? How many people get to do that? Yeah. And uh, and uh, well, and the, uh, to go out on that note, uh, there there was the uh, the career of Frank Kovacs. Um, looking back, I you know as we wrap up, I don't want you know it's you know, I guess there's no point in you know you always what could have been or whatever. But is there anything looking back? Maybe I don't want to say are you bitter, but. Uh, 
you know, looking back, maybe if, if you would have changed or, uh, or, or, you know, looking back on your career, what do you think? Uh, looking back at my career, um, I'm very proud of it, very happy with it. Obviously, didn't know how I wanted it to be. Um, I think every player works their butt off to be in the NHL, and when you don't reach that goal, it's kind of heartbreaking and disappointing, but at the same time, we just had a pretty good talk about a pretty good career. Absolutely. Yes, it was in the NHL, but I have a lot of great experiences, met a lot of great people. I met you now, who I respect a lot, too, and well, that's how that. hockey is. Yes. Yeah, that's how hockey is. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. There's some great people in the game, fans and uh, players and coaches, and I'm, I'm just proud I got to do it. Um, yeah, as an adult, you look back and go, yeah, I guess I was pretty lucky to play 11 years pro because not many players make it. <laughs> so I had a good career, in, in, all, in all honesty. Not the NHL, but better hey, than nothing. Hey, somebody paid, some, for 11 years, somebody thought enough to pay you money to play for them. So, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like yeah. you said, it, that's what I tell everybody that when they when I do the show. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, we all dream to play junior. And that percentage yeah. is so low, let alone pro, let alone to have 11-year pro. You know, so, yeah. I mean, everybody just looks at the NHL and, oh, he didn't make the NHL, so, you know, the career was a bust. Well, no, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, like you said, you went around the world, you got to do things that... Ninety nine percent of us will never got to do, and uh, right, you know, and I, I and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, oh, and you know, like you said, like I, I even look back in the Pats days. That was my dream to be Regina Pat. Like that was more than an NHL. And once they made the team, who'd ever thought that I would have played the most games as a Pat? Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Like I'm a Regina kid, and that worked out pretty good. So I'm I'm really proud of that as well. Just to have that record. So yeah. Yeah, well, you're, and you're yeah. not going to say it, so I said it at the start, so I'm going to say it now. You're also a member of the Regina Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, you got inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2009, I believe, and that was a really big honor. I never expected that. But yeah, once you're inducted to the Hall of Fame, it's like, geez, I guess I did okay in my life. But Absolutely. But, you know, I think any person who's humble, I respect everyone for what they do, whatever they do. And yep. a guy... I have a lot of friends here in Regina who work for the city and they collect garbage and do that kind of stuff. And everyone's got their role in this world and everyone's important. That's why I look at things. I remember telling the fans that through my career. I was in Dayton, Ohio my first year. And we meet the fans after the game and they just look up to you and they can't believe how good you are. And this and I said, listen, what do you do? Well, I'm, a, I'm an electrician. I said, wow, that's amazing because I don't have no clue about that. So you're just as important as I am. And I really believe that. I believe everyone's got a role in this earth and, and you have to respect each other for what they do that's how I believe it so I was very fortunate to play hockey very thankful and now I've got another great career I'm a police officer that, that was always a dream of mine too so life could be better absolutely no that's that's tremendous and uh, no a great outlook to have and uh, and like I said and uh, anytime and being a police officer I have friends that do it and uh, like I said I see you guys all the time and uh, talk to the guys in the force here you know and uh, know what you guys do and putting your putting yourself on the line every day it's uh, unbelievable but um, and thank you for your service it um, but uh, before we go, um, I noticed you had put a link up the other day on Twitter. You were talking about fundraising. Yeah. What is Frank Kovacs raising money for? <laughs> I, I really, really enjoy volunteer work. I don't know why. I've always done it through my hockey career, too. I, I love being in the public and meeting people and doing things for 
other people to help them out. And this one is for the Special Olympics. It's called the Polar Plunge. It's happening on February 17th on Family Day in Wascana Park, Regina. And we're raising money and awareness for Special Olympics by jumping into a cold water <laughs> at <laughs> Wascana Lake. So it's going to be interesting. I did it last year. I'll be honest with you, I was really anxious about it because I wasn't sure what to expect. But it wasn't too bad. But uh, the money we raise goes to a great cause. And it's a lot of fun, so uh, that's what we're doing this year. So myself and well, about five or six people from the police force are making a team up, and we're raising money. And we're going to do the plunge. Tremendous, excellent. Well, I'm going yeah. to—I I will definitely uh, be promoting that, and I'll put the link up. But I hope everyone listening, um, I will put the link up to Frank's uh, the polar plunge here, and hopefully we we can get uh, we get some folks to help you out with that. Awesome, appreciate that. Well, there we go, and uh, I'd just like to thank you. I know we've been setting up for a while, and, uh, man, we almost went uh, two and a half hours, and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's great meeting you, and uh, you have a great show here. I hope you keep on going. Uh, well, I hope so, you know, as, like, as yeah. long as every, uh, you know, we can get keep getting entertaining guests and people will listen, I will certainly... Uh, certainly keep doing it but uh i won't uh, keep you much long i've kept you long enough but uh I'll, I'll let you go but uh thank you very much again i appreciate it thanks sir i really appreciate it buddy. that was great excellent thanks frank okay buddy and you people that don't like fighting how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on